Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Star Star. No, it's not. That's not the name of the show. It's Brother Date. Welcome to Brother Date. I'm Matthew. Star Trek's edition. I almost just started calling this show Star Trek. Is that okay? Can we do that? <laughs> Welcome to. Hey, you know there are a lot of Star Trek podcasts. I don't think any of them are just, just called Star, Star Trek. Trek. Well, you know, I read the other day, 2019 is supposed to be the year of the Star Trek. So I'm let's just, just get on, let's get on it. We could get real good SEO. This is an official Star Trek podcast brought to you by Rick Berman. <laughs> And uh, we're going to talk about official Star Trek matters. We're going to get all the new news on Captain Picard and what he's up to in his new show. We're going to bring you all the scoops. We're going to talk about when we're going to come back and meet Data again because, you know, we got to meet Data again. I have a serious question. Oh, okay. If CBS said, all right, you guys are the official Star Trek podcast now. They should. You, you don't have to change your format and we're going to pay you so you don't have to keep your day job. All right. This is a wild, wild but, way to start this. Okay. But you have to put out one episode a week. Would you do it? <sighs> Oh, I get to quit my job? Yep. You have no other job. God, I mean, I how much are they paying? Whatever you make now. Oh, boy. Um, I'd assume they wouldn't pay me that much, but I could move somewhere cheap. I'm going to say, I, I don't particularly like my job now. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, I'll would. do it. I'll, I'll trade that torture for this torture. Honestly, not sure. <laughs> Genuinely, one. after watching the episodes for week 55, <laughs> not sure. They'd probably want us to watch Discovery and the new Captain yep. Picard one when it comes out. Oh, yeah, all the movies and uh, probably the animated series. Um, oh, my God. Can you imagine if we had to do the novels? There's hundreds of those. Oh. Uh, okay, so what we could do... I wonder if they have a canonical order. The books? Yeah. I don't know. They're probably jumping all over with stitches in time and whatnot. Can you imagine if we did... Let's say we did one podcast every three months that was the first Star Trek novel... Versus the first Star Wars novel. <sighs> versus, I don't know what else we throw in there. The first Hardy Boys. Oh, please do, yes. Let's be like, well, once again, Case of the Missing Chums, <laughs> best novel of the week. Despite its overt racism, it still had the best premise. Honestly, no more racist than the first Star Trek novel either. So oh, that's probably true. <clears throat> Can you imagine? Hey, welcome we're to gonna Brother Date. I'm doing this if we don't. Welcome to Brother Date. I'm Screen. <laughs> My name's Screen, and this is Brother Date, and it's week 55 of our Star Trek, our dumb, pointless Star Trek project. Um, this you've The most entertaining part of the episode's already over, and That's right. now what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to go over the 55th episode from each of the five concluded series um, and see which one of them was the least terrible. We're going in order uh, last uh, from last week's rankings, but you know, worst to first to um, just, honestly because. for no other reason than to make sure we don't just go, yeah, this one sucked, and then stop talking about it after three minutes. <laughs> That's right. Last week, the worst episode was TOS. Okay. Uh, with the very dumb episode, the uh, bread and circuses. Oh, mm, God. Mm, oh, about oh, uh, God. alternate alternate twentieth century Rome. 
Oh, God. So this week we watched Assignment Earth. To be fair, we did miss a week, and so if we're a little off, it's because of that missed week. Yeah. Enterprise has gone back to the 20th century to do historical research concerning the desperate problems facing mankind in the year 1968. Are they ever not in the 20th century anymore? (laughs) Whether it's alternate Earth 20th centuries or regular Earth 20th centuries? Honestly, they've spent some time Mm. in the 20th century, whether it was gangsters or Nazis Nazis or Roman, alternate Rome, alternate Romans, which are in the 20th century so that some, some PA got to make up a fake ad for the Jupiter (laughs) five car. Yep. Um, anyway, they're just uh, hanging out in space, hiding from, you know, radar and satellites and stuff. And uh, they accidentally intercept a transporter beam coming from a thousand light years away. Mm-hmm. It is pure chance. They just happen to be in between. Honestly, they don't the seem Earth. like they want to do it at all. They're very and unhappy they're, about intercepting this transporter beam. Yeah, they're not into it. Uh, so they all run down to the transporter room and a man materializes. He's in a suit and he's got his black cat. <clears throat> the cat's called Isis. And he demands to know who they are, but when he sees a Vulcan in there with a human, he realizes that they are from the future. He has the incredibly good science fiction name, Gary Seven. (laughs) And he is a human being from this time. Like he is, he was born the number of years ago that he is old, but from a different planet. He looked like the age that they always say in the Twilight Zone is 36, which right, is approximately 48. Like, that dude's coming up on 50 pretty yeah, good. Right. They used to be able to get away with lies like that yeah, on TV. Every single character in the Twilight Zone is 36, and they are all much older than that. Uh, he's been living with these advanced aliens that uh, not only do humans now not know about, because they don't know about any aliens, but even in Kirk's time, they have the ability to hide from the Federation. Mm. I remind you that they are a mere 1,000 light years away. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which, uh, depending on... I mean, look, Star Trek's always very cavalier with distances. They will be in TNG this week. That feels like that probably puts them in the... Well, I, yeah, I know. We'll get into I feel it. like that, that probably puts them in, in the Federation. Just oh. a guess. Yeah, probably, but they got one of them hidden planets, like uh, like those kidnappers. What if, what if it's just Baylock? What if it's just Baylock's <laughs> people? Could be. I don't know. Was this guy a Howard? Probably not, right? Uh, no. Okay. No, this guy was uh, 1960s handsome. Yeah. He insists that if Kirk and Enterprise interfere with his cool mission that he's not going to tell them about... The Earth is going to be destroyed, and maybe, and he's not clear on this, it will lead to their destruction as well. Hmm. As if, if the Earth were destroyed, they would just be like, well, dang, now what? (laughs) Anyway, Kirk orders him confined, and they stun him with a phaser. Okay. So, this guy goes to the brig, and then Kirk gets on a cool teleconference with the whole ship. Yeah. Like, he's like... Look, nobody come to the briefing room. 
we can we can do this one by zoom uh well it's got that monitor with three with three monitors it's a triangle you just have the triangle tv yeah Yeah. and he talks to people uh spock thinks that gary seven's important mission is probably related to the launch the following day of an orbital nuclear weapons platform which uh he and kirk do some exposition about how it was a major problem facing uh earth in the 20th century yeah, particularly in 1968 we all remember it from the history books that's right it's really tough it was 1960 it was 1968 when this aired it was just like a couple of months before the date they give mm-hmm. uh but we know that didn't happen no that did not happen i mean we know it about con too but at least they put that 30 years in the future yeah Anyway, they think it's probably that. Gary Seven takes out... I mean, it's a sonic screwdriver from Doctor Who. (laughs) He refers to it as a servo, but it's a pen that can do anything. It is a magic pen. It's a magic pen that he owns that no one searched him. They just put him right in the brig. He looks human. Did they even separate him and his cat? I I honestly don't remember where the cat is at this point. I think they did. Whether the cat is in the brig or just running around the ship... Oh, no. Spock's petting the cat. Spock is holding the cat and petting it in the conference room. Well, there you go, then. They do a little bit where Kirk's like, hey, you seem to like that cat. And he's like, yep. Well, uh, Spock knows instinctively it's actually a sexy lady. Well, let me tell you, uh, the as the moment I heard the actress doing the meows, I knew it was a sexy <laughs> lady. No payoff for this. Nope. She appears for one second. It's all right. In episodes two through 200 of the show... Of Assignment Earth. Of Assignment Earth, the television show. It'll all it'll all get played out. <sighs> he escapes from the brig. Uh, they don't know that yet. McCoy does... You know, McCoy is the typical sinister thing. Like, he's human, all right, but his readings are too perfect. Yeah, he's got a perfect bod. Yeah. Um, he gets to the transporter room, and he and his cat beam out. The cat runs out of the... When he escapes, the cat runs out of the... It doesn't matter. This fucking cat is going to be underfoot the whole episode. And it never really does anything. No, he just talks to it. I think that's it. Yeah. Uh, He beams out and he emerges in a locked bank vault that is behind a sliding shelf full of martini glasses in a New York apartment. Mm Mm-hmm. And... Then he starts talking to a sassy computer. Yes. Th- which I assume would be another character, the sassy Beta 5 computer. Selma or whatever. Who demands that he authenticate himself by giving a lot of exposition <laughs> about the the aliens that took humans away from Earth 6,000 years ago and have been training them and their cool, cool mission to prevent humans from killing themselves because their technology has outpaced their ethics and wisdom. Mm-hmm. Some horseshit like that. Anyway, it doesn't seem like a... It's already got its voice print, but it wants to know that. But, like, anyone who could duplicate... Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yep, yep, yep. Like, yep. he gives such basic information that you would think that anybody who was working against them would know it. Obviously, the information's so basic, the computer's like, I guess it's acceptable. Yeah, 
It's not like, oh, spot on. It's like, nah, well, I mean, like, I guess. It's incomplete, but acceptable. Those are the main beats. <sighs> anyway. His, he has he came because uh, to oversee some agents. He's a supervisor, and he's got a couple of agents here on Earth, and they aren't checking in, but they were supposed to sabotage this rocket. Yeah. Uh, for some unknown reason. Because it's got one of them nuclear orbital platform things. Yeah, but it's not clear what he wants to do with it. Sabotage it, and we know that he thinks he's doing good. Right. Right? Yes. Kirk has some, some civilian clothes made up for him and Spock. I don't know why. Like, what do they do with the old ones from the last time they were in the 20th century? It's unclear if they have a how the ship's tailor works. What is at their this deal? point? Kirk should uh, probably just institute a new rule that anyone who normally goes on away, away teams can just wear jeans. <laughs> like, you know what? Just wear them to the bridge. We're all the time doing this. Except that in the 60s, you had to wear a suit if you walked down the street. If you were a person walking down the street, you had to wear a suit still. Oh, but they are always blue collar when and, they go down there. And by the way, everyone. Uh, with any sense, is wearing a hat, including Spock. But I think they made Kirk not wear a hat, so you'd notice that Spock was wearing one. Yeah, exactly. You're supposed to see <laughs> Spock's wearing a hat to cover his ears, which everyone instantly goes, oh my god. <laughs> what happened? What are you? It's one of those things where, It's about like, a devil! Because we haven't, we haven't come across any other real good explanation, what you want to believe right now is, when Kirk looks at a Klingon... Uh, we know it's not true. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. What I want to believe is when people look at Spock, they see something way more alien than Leonard Nimoy's actual makeup. Like they're seeing something we're not. They're seeing. Are they seeing TNG style Vulcans with a little bit of head texture and stuff like that? You know, maybe it's that. Maybe he's much greener than they managed to get him on film. You know, or... it's true that when they had their shirts off, he looked. He was uh, noticeably greener than Kirk in one of those episodes recently. Where they were both shirtless. You know, that could be just because he, he, you're mostly seeing his uniform. What do you mean? And, well, like, you see a little bit of his face most yeah. of the time. But mostly he's just wearing the same uniform as everyone else. Mm -hmm. And so, like, the part of him that's his skin color is not very much of what you see. Oh, yeah, sure. Just his head and his hands or whatever. Correct. Yeah. Anyway... Uh, Jesus, where was I? I sense you're burdened by this episode description, and I don't blame you, because it's, as we talked about leading into this week, this is an episode that was meant to set up a new show that never aired. Like, this episode yeah. aired, but that show did not was not picked up. Alright, so let's just do the beats. Okay. Kirk and Spock beam down, dressed in 20th century clothes, to start looking for him. They do a bit where Scotty just gives them compass headings, and they walk around. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's so they don't find him real quick. No, as always, they have 50 minutes to kill and they don't know how. Right. Uh, but they're not the only ones who are headed into this apartment building. There's a hectic blonde in a sherbet-colored dress. Mm. It's like rainbow sherbet. Yeah. It's like all the different colors. A fresh hot 20-year-old? Uh, yeah, fresh hot 20-year-old always. Mm -hmm. uh, she, she gets up there and she's like, cool, no one notices I'm late. So you're like, ah, great. That's this character. Yeah. Uh, Gary Seven has replicated some various intelligence agency credentials. Yes. All, uh, all with the name Gary Seven. They're all, all with the name Gary Seven. That's his cool... It's his actual <laughs> name that he gives to Kirk, and it's his cool code name here. Yep. 
if someone showed you an, an a badge that uh, identified them, and by the way, none of these have pictures on them. Nope. I guess that's just how badges were in those days. There was just a membership card. But if someone showed you a, an ID that said they worked for the NSA and it said Gary Seven, <laughs> would you be like, ah, cool, 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 cool? <laughs> I think my reply would be, well, that's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have another? Perhaps I your say, next ID will be better. I feel like I would say, huh, I don't know if uh, NSA guys have badges that they show to people. <laughs> yeah. That's For one thing, that's not real secret. And for another, in 1968, I've never heard of an NSA agent in the field. Are there just like six of you sitting in a room with a giant computer? Like, what's going on here? Why are you here? Yeah. Uh, anyway, he's done that. He walks out and sees this, uh, this a fresh hot 20 year old. Her name's Roberta. Uh, very difficult for me not to say it, Waterboy style. <laughs> Roboida. <laughs> uh, and he thinks she's one of his missing agents, so I guess he's never met them. Yeah. And he... They do a... They, basically, they do a farce. So he... He uh, tries to get her to do a report on where she's been, and he's got, like, a magic typewriter... And it takes him a real long time to figure out that she's not that. And then she explains that she is their secretary. Like, his two agents got there, and then they hired this woman to be their secretary. Yeah, they really did not like paperwork. They have magic instruments that type to, that speak to type, and they still needed her. And they told her they were making a new encyclopedia. <laughs> you know, I don't think he hired very good people. I, well, he doesn't. he doesn't recognize her. I don't think he hired those agents. I think he works for an incompetent organization. I think that's right. Uh, maybe he's the only comp. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, after we're done with that farce, uh, the computer tells him that his agents were killed in a car accident. Mm. So now he's going to have to take care of this rocket himself. Uh, Kirk and Spock show up, uh, but and it turns out Roberta's not useless because she uh, she screams and makes a fuss and calls the police and stuff and holds Kirk and Spock off long enough for him to get back into his magic transporter vault mm-hmm. uh, and head off to uh, Camp McKinley uh, or McKinley Rocket Base or something like that. Right. And uh, as soon as he shows up there in some hangar, which nobody asks any questions about. A 60-minute countdown begins. So now we have our ticking clock on the yeah. episode. I wish it was shorter. Um, but he's not... He's also not an amazing agent because he left a map of the rocket base on his desk. <laughs> and so Kirk walks in and finds that. Uh, they do another little gag where he and Spock and the two cops who have come to answer her in full-length coats. Yeah, they were... It was a cold? I don't know what was going on. Yeah, it's not clear. Uh, beam up and then they're like it's the same gag as from tomorrow is yesterday where the MP is up in the transporter room and he's just like what? Yeah. But they beam him right down. They don't make the guy get him chicken soup or whatever. <laughs> okay. Gary Seven hides in the launch director's car hitches a ride to go inspect the launch pad takes the gantry uh, or takes the elevator all the way up to the launch gantry, climb, climbs out on a, uh, what do you even call that? A rafter? Something, Something like that. 
that leads Some scaffolding. To the, leads to one of the panels on the rocket or whatever. And uh, starts poking at the wires and using his pen and stuff. The cat is like crawling all over him and shit. And I was like, that cat's going to fall. I spent so much time figuring out how they were getting the cat to do. I was just going like, is there someone standing in that panel? They got some food in there. Like what's uh, it's an extremely well-trained cat. Yeah. So not only is the cat curious, but then at one point it like climbs up on his back and sits down. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'll sit here on this person. I don't know. <laughs> it's not real cat behavior. He's, he's 60s handsome. He's a very well-trained cat. Uh, so he starts doing all that nonsense. Um, Kirk and Spock beam down to the base and they get caught by a security guard. Yeah. So now they're, and, and the security guard takes them to the launch room. That's where you take prisoners. Prisoners who have, in, who have invaded your base, you take them directly to the nerve center. <laughs> so they get to stand there and watch the countdown and all the related activity uh, within reaching distance of their fantastic future equipment which they touch a few times yeah they put their hands all over it <laughs> the, the the cop briefly talks to scotty who cares uh scotty has been he i guess because there are satellites in orbit he has an ability that the enterprise has never had to actually physically view what's happening on the planet below yeah it definitely looks like it's from a helicopter but yes um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, like he says, I can zoom in and then it changes to a totally different angle on the on the rocket. Right. Uh, so I guess, you know, he's got magic. He sees Gary Seven and uh, and beams him back up. But at this moment, because this is a farce, uh, Roberta has accidentally opened the vault. Yeah. And she... No, no, I'm sorry. She accidentally opens the... The wall. Uh, the hidden bookcase. Yeah. She like then sits she back just... she sits back on his desk and like knocks over his little pen holder or whatever that right. opens the thing up. Yep. Yeah, he's counting on no one ever needing a pen in that <laughs> office. That's right. Then she just cracks the vault. She just cracks this bank vault. She like cracks her knuckles and starts twiddling the knob, and we don't see it, but I guess she can break into any vault. <laughs> she gets it open. Then she pushes a random button inside the vault, and that is enough to beam Gary Seven back to his office. Yeah. So now he's going to try to do whatever he's going to do to the rocket from right there in the room. And why did he need to get on the thing and go to the? Well, room? he had to. He had to. He had to hook the thing up to the thing so that he could control it remotely. Okay. Well, I then guess. he's fine. He did his job then. He did his job. Scotty beamed him out, but too late, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> the launch begins. The rocket starts veering off course. The um, the range safety officer tries to destroy it, but he can't. Gary Seven arms the nuclear warhead. Uh, this thing is going to explode somewhere in Eurasia. They don't even want to specify. No. Well, I've been uh, to Iraq, Iran, Eurasia. At this point, uh, Roberta hits him with a box and knocks knocks him down. And now it means this rocket is going to come down armed. Mm-hmm. Whatever Gary Seven meant to do, now we've got a real World War Three scenario happening. At this point, Kirk recovers their communicator and has them beamed to the apartment. I guess he knows that's where... Eh, maybe Scotty tells him that the beam was intercepted. Yeah, maybe. Uh... Gary Seven convinces Kirk to let him detonate the warhead 
at a hundred miles above the planet to teach everybody a lesson about the perils of nuclear war. <sighs> and then Kirk and Spock smugly revealed that this was all history. Everything turned out the way it should have been. <sighs> and then uh, briefly, Roberta sees the cat turn into a sexy woman. No one else seems to see it. Nope. Uh, Gary Seven just says, that's my cat. And then Spock tells the viewers to tune in every week. <laughs> I mean, he... <laughs> Yes, he does. I think they're going to go on some amazing adventures, everyone. That's essentially it. Yeah, they're like, well, if you're from, can you tell us what's in our future then? If you're from the future, if you're so smart. And he's like, well, we can't. We have rules about telling you. Uh, no, we don't have any rules that tell us how to resolve this scenario. That's We're just right. going to leave you here. But we have rules that prevent us from telling you. But we can say it's going to be a wild ride. <sighs> well, you know, NBC didn't agree. This is very hard for me to get through this one because I, I hated it. What's the take? What's this one about? Mm, this is the only category that I gave it points for. Spoiler alert. Uh, humanity's technology is advancing beyond its ability to make rational decisions about how to use it. Uh, that's what this show was going to be about, I guess? That's what, the whole, that's what the whole premise was as described by Gary Seven to the computer? Yeah. Um, if it was ever going to be made, that's what the show, I guess, was going to be about. And it's fine as a take. Probably true, actually, and consistent with what Star Trek always says about real lifetimes. It might be true, but isn't it softened somewhat by the fact that Gary Seven probably wasn't real, and we still made it through 1968, and also we knew better than to put yes. nu orbiting nuclear weapon platforms into into the space? It's true that all of that happened, but, uh, you know, they didn't know. In 1968, they thought they were headed for the uh, bottom bottom of the ocean. Is that what they thought? Probably bottom of the yeah, ocean, something like that. Uh, I give it a seven. Oh wow! <laughs> Don't worry. Um, As always, this kind of thing comes back to hidden in execution. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, huh? <laughs> what about you? What do you what do you think this is this MFR was about? Um, uh, so there is a moment where. God, I glossed over so much. It, this episode felt like it was two hours. Oh my God, yeah. There, I mean, look, the scene where he's on the rocket took like fucking 20 minutes. Yeah. I, there's a, a minute. So when Kirk and Spock get there, Gary Seven is already incapacitated. Mm -hmm. And Kirk just has Spock try to figure out how to fix this fucking computer so that the thing, I don't know, does a whoopsie, blows up. I'm not even sure what Kirk thinks he wants it to do. They spend so much time trying to decide whether Spock should do it or whether they should let Gary Seven do it. Right. So there's a and there's a moment where Spock turns to him and he says, look, this is not a logical decision. You have to figure out whether you can trust him. Yeah. And that's not about ration rationality. You're going to have to use your instincts. So I thought this was about not all problems can be solved rationally. Sometimes you must rely on your gut instincts and turn control of your history over to a humorless weirdo working for mysterious aliens. I give it four points. Okay. The problem... I mean, your take is is better, but the problem is... It's... It's not clear that it's true. Oh, sure. Yeah. Like, I guess at the end... But, I mean, like, even within the Star Trek universe, yeah. I don't know if... Kirk and Spock say, well, everything worked out the way it was supposed to because that's true or because what happened there changed their history. Oh, yeah. Did and we... they know the new history because if they knew that um, 
Well, the answer to that... Like if they knew going into it that this was what was supposed to have happened, wouldn't be a hard decision at all yeah. to let uh, Gary Seven blow up the thing. Yeah, the answer to that uh, depends on how sophisticated the writers are, and we know they are not. If the writers were sophisticated, then maybe uh, this changed the history, and that, and now they comfortably say, well, that's how it all happened. Yeah. But since they're not sophisticated... <laughs> not generally sophisticated... I think it's uh, it's just how it was the whole time, and then the whole uh, "Hey, should we let him do it or not?" is very stupid. Pilipin gives it a zero. I think it's a protest vote from him because they're trying to pilot another show. Yeah, his take is when your promising show slides for a whole second season, get your resume out there. <laughs> yep. This obviously has nothing to do with Star Trek or even the Trek ideals. I mean. If it's, I, I mean, it, it's the truth. Is that this was a move? by Gene Roddenberry to protect himself and no one else. Yeah. He insisted that he get the final producer credit on it. Obviously. Not just the EP credit, right? Yep. Um, yeah, this was a, a pitch from him to the network saying, okay, you can cancel Star Trek, <laughs> but, you know, keep old Gene around. Why, why wouldn't he just make a better show? Like, if you're worried about Star Trek getting canceled, just make Star Trek a little bit better. Oh, uh, yeah. You know? He had, I mean, you know, if you read those behind-the-scenes things, it seemed like he'd been pretty checked out on Star Trek. <laughs> Asshole. He may not have really wanted to be a TV producer. He might have just wanted money. I think that could be. You know, I'm kind of like that. <laughs> Most of what I do, I don't really want to do. <laughs> I mean, I get it. We just talked about what we would do if CBS came calling for this podcast. Hey, CBS. I'll, I'll do it. They, the, I'll no, do it. We've, I mean, it's a it's a poisoned well. We, they'd have make us start over from zero with a new podcast title and a new no mailbag episodes and none of the horrible. You know what? They just recast. You know what? You're. Just I was going to say you're not even sure you want to do it. It's going to be me and John Delancey. They did. They, they would just buy the uh, the premise. The the Whatever. format. They can have it. Who gives a shit? Anyway. Uh, what did Ben do on execution on this mofo if he gave one. it zero? Okay. Yeah, one. Um, he says... <sighs> yeah, he, he hated it. So, I mean, he says uh, it, it makes more sense watching this to know that they were abandoning the show. Like, the only way to understand this is with the backstory. Right. Like, in-universe, this episode is nonsense. Yeah. And he says that the lighthearted comedy falls pretty flat. And I don't disagree. He's correct with that one. Mm, all right, you gave it a four. What did you give it on execution? For execution, I am a two. Okay. So, obviously, it's not about the Enterprise, and the crew is only in half of it. And that sucks. Yeah, and they spend most of that half just kind of standing around with their fucking dicks out, just going, ah. There's another problem. It's a plot problem. This is an episode in which they demonstrate that they can and are willing to travel backward in time mm. on command. Mm -hmm. But then there's a point in this episode where everyone's on the ship. There's no one stranded back, back behind. They know where Gary Seven's office is. They know the exact time he's going to beam in. <laughs> Maybe just travel back a little bit. They only have an hour in this timeline to stop him. <sighs> and not one person says, hey, um... What if we went back in time to yesterday yep. and just took a took a mulligan? Just took a just a do-over on this whole thing. If only God. 
if only they would leave time travel alone. They don't this know how to do it. This is why they should leave it. The problem is time travel <clears throat> on command. So, like, not something like City on the Edge of Forever, yeah, where whoopsies. once they get back there, they can't do it anymore. Right. But time travel on command really breaks TV drama. Yeah. That's like when Picard's in the Nexus. And, <laughs> and Guinan says, can step you can out go, of the Nexus at any point. You can go to any point in time, anywhere you want to go, any place, anything. And he's like, and he's like cool, I want to go. Eight minutes ago. I want to go to the 14 seconds before the rocket launches. And it's like, huh? <laughs> what? What are you talking not, about? Uh, not uh, take me back to when this idiot was first rescued from the Nexus because <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do a murder. It's, and listen, Starfleet never checks up on how it. How come Nexus Guinan, I know it's because he's not a real person, but Nexus Guinan should go, no, I will not do that. I let's will take again. you back at least a week, but I will not do anything sooner than that. <laughs> Wait, let's start again. You can go anywhere. Yeah, I'm going to say it again. I don't think you were listening. Just anywhere? I think you were just looking at horses. Let's try this again. Yeah. Yeah, time travel, uh, light speed breakaway factor, not good. And again, it's not at all clear if in the end everything worked out as it was supposed to or if Kirk and Spock's memories have changed because halfway through they say that orbiting nuclear platforms were a major problem in the era, but then at the end... Yeah, it doesn't seem like uh, it's headed that way. Well, also, but at the end, Kirk's like, although it was uh, not widely known... This nuclear uh, weapons thing was supposed to have been averted in this way. And it's like, wait, were they a major problem in the era? Or was it kind of a secret? Yeah. And of course, I hated Spock coyly telling them they'd have a lot of fun future adventures. It is a two for me. I was with Ben on this. I gave it a one. Uh, it obviously was not about my take at all. Not even the pilot episode of the series was about the thing it claimed to be about. No, because they, at, well, first of all, at no point do they have any human mouthpiece from the 20th century who says that what they're doing is a good idea. No, they just got what's-her-name in her sherbet-colored uh, dress talking about how people from her generation were so upset. <laughs> <sighs> this is why some of my generation are kind of crazy and rebels. But not me, I'm a patriot. I love America. We don't know if we're going to be alive by the time we're 30. Uh, mostly a caper to blow up a missile and introducing characters we'll never see again. Also, the internal logic of the episode was bonkers. It's a one. Did you like it any better from the perspective of world building? Uh, well, as usual, it's a mix of good and bad here. There's things that happened that were zany and stupid, like the light speed, light speed breakaway factor that they did for research reasons. That's it. That was their entire motivation. Uh, we're going to go back in time because we want to like learn or learn some more. Well, it's a, it's very crazy and bad and dumb because they say in the opening captain's log that in the opening captain's log, mm -hmm. they say it's so stupid. They have, they feel like they have to explain how they went back in time. Yeah. They, they specifically have to call out the light speed breakaway factor. Mm -hmm. to, so this is, we need to, we don't think you guys will know how we did this. So we, let's explain that. But let's not explain why. <laughs> if the why is literally to learn about the problems of 1968. Uh, certain problems facing Earth in the year 1968. I mean, that's well, not good. Come on, man. I know you don't want to give away the plot of the episode, but like... <laughs> But you're about to. It's like uh, they got a prime directive they've been talking about the whole season, but I guess they still have not done much on that temporal prime directive. 
No, no, no. It has not occurred to them. Go back for whatever reason. Uh, anyway. Although the very first time they go back in time for any reason, Kirk and Spock look at each other and they go, we can't. Anything we do. Yeah. Like, this is a bad scene, right? Well, someone at Starfleet convinced them otherwise. Uh, too bad they'll never remember how to do this uh, lightspeed breakaway factor in the future. Uh, transporters in the 23rd century cannot reach a thousand light years. That seems consistent with transporters. Why would they be able to do that? Um, even in our century, Scotty says, as though it's <laughs> such a bad, dumb line. Yes. Like, you know, this is not a transporter beam originating on Earth. So Bro, they no didn't point have in it in Even in our century, we can't. I know Star Trek writers thought a lot of technology progress was happening, but yeah, yeah no transporters in the 20th century. Yeah. Uh, United Spaceship Enterprise. I always remember it as United Starship, but maybe he's always been saying spaceship. Uh, listen, no one thought about it. Okay. And they just avoid it in the next generation. They never explain what USS stands for. Uh, dudes from a hidden planet, which will remain hidden even in the 23rd century, uh, like Aldea or whatever. Um, uh, orbital nuclear platforms were a big problem in 1968, which again, hmm. Uh, force field in the brig. I don't know if, how many times we've seen the force field in TOS, the internal force field, but Gary Seven uh, played with it for a minute. Does Mad Kirk bang on it? It's possible. In, uh, mirror, mirror. It is possible. Uh, Gary Seven's computer is sassy like the Enterprise D's computer. And if you'd care to enter, Commander. I would. Uh, Jesus Christ. Omicron 4 nuked itself to death, I guess. That's uh, a two for me. Some more bad than good. I I went ahead and gave it the standard three. Okay. Uh, I, and so the idea that orbital nuclear weapons was a problem in the Star Trek timeline differentiates it from our timeline. So that's always interesting to me. Yep. Uh, there. No one cares. Like I just know no one's going to care about this race of secret hidden alien kidnappers. Who have been shaping Earth's future? Yep. Like this should the next ten episodes should, should be. be about rooting these guys <laughs> out. Getting to the bottom of that one. No, they're not worried at all. It's uh, going to be a lot of fun. In fact, we don't run across these guys in, uh, in TNG. You know what I mean? Like no. we don't run across them in Deep Space Nine, or it turns out they're in the Delta Quadrant in Voyager or something. No, no, they don't even have a name. No one cares about them. They've had human slaves for 6,000 years. <laughs> That's fine. Sucks to be them. Yep. Yeah, it's a two. I said three. It's a two. <laughs> I had it as a That's three. That's worse. I had it as a three, and then I read my piece, and I went, That's not a three. Yeah, it's just not. No. Um, I mean, Ben does give it a seven. Holy shit. Yeah, this is where the majority of Ben's oh, points for this is. Is he not differentiating between things that are important but bad? Uh, probably. Okay. Well, I can't blame uh, him. We have done the same in the past. Yeah, so he references the lightspeed breakaway factor. The Federation assigning people to observe history is a first and probably the only time. We'll it, see that. It actually kind of makes sense in the Enterprise's uh, duties because they're always just sent off for whatever random mission Starfleet wants done. It is true. They are a cruiser in the truest sense. Yeah, they this never week, maneuver with anyone else. They go off on someone's weird mission all the time. This week, there's no doctors, that no scientists that need to get medical checkups. So you can go nope. back in time and study 1968. Yep. Hey, guys, we got, we got one for you. You know how you just accidentally discovered that if you go to warp 14, you go back in time? 
And also the clocks run backwards because we thought of it. Yep. Well, <laughs> hey, we here's the first here's the first one here's the first thing you're gonna go study certain problems in the year 1968. <laughs> You'll figure them out when you get there. Uh, Gary Seven is right out of Pulp Fiction, like the Barsoom novels, where some dude beam. Yeah, basically. Mm. Phaser stun is pretty big and loud now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. He answers our question. Why a seven? Yeah. Besides making time travel a routine exercise for the Enterprise, this also completely normalizes the idea of interference with history. Uh, not to mention introducing a completely new view of the universe in Gary Seven and his benefactors. Yeah, we have to assume that um, everything humanity does right from 1968 forward is at least partially because of these guys. I mean, it doesn't explain the eugenics wars or world war three, the post atomic horror. Like, are they not, is Gary seven not still hanging around? Gary seven and the sixes. That's what I'm calling his crew. <laughs> um, he's a two on characterization. Okay. Uh, he says he makes Kirk look particularly charming since he has no charm. I definitely described him as humorless earlier. Yeah, Does he smile once or is that his thing? Is this his thing that he doesn't smile? Uh, Scott, he's playing Where's Waldo the whole time. And then he asks if he fucks the cat. And I think it's a very valid question. I'm pretty sure he's fucked that cat. He's fucking that cat. Yeah. yeah. Do you think mostly as a human, but every once in a while he's like, I don't know. Well, I just want to try it once. I mean, as long as she's, she's okay I with mean, it. I mean, I know you're sentient. She's okay with it. Let's try it out. I'm Gary fucking seven. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a supervisor. <laughs> I'm in charge of what I say. I'll fire your ass. I'm fucking your little cat asshole. <laughs> oh, I hope you guys enjoyed this project while it lasted. <laughs> CBS still wants this, right? Uh, probably. Okay, good. I gave it a five for characterization. Okay. Wow. All right. Um, Average. It's, it's hard because our characters get relatively little screen time. Yeah. But frankly, all of their characterization is pretty much where I want it to be. Like, Scotty is decent when he's up there running. Like, he doesn't call down to try to figure out what to do when he finds Gary Seven. He's just like, oh, beam that bitch right up. Yeah, Scotty's always pretty good in charge. He should have been captain. He has it in him. Yeah. Well, you know, he loves the Enterprise too much, I guess. Like a Riker. Uh I like Spock when he recognizes that not everything is a logical problem and there's value to intuitive decisions, command decisions, although he only would uh, allow that prerogative for Kirk, probably. Uh, yeah, I don't think he trusts anybody else to do that. No, he wouldn't let McCoy do it, God, for sure. no. So, I thought what we saw was fine, but obviously they're not the major focus. I gave it five. Yeah, I always run into this problem. Like, if there's no characterization being done, do I, is that, do I give it an average score? Because... These guys really do just sit on the sidelines. Um, let's see. Kirk doesn't care about altering the past because he needs to know if Gary Seven is a liar. I mean, he basically says that. That is his motivation for going down there. Um, uh, you actually talked me up to a four with your stuff on Spock. I had it as a three. Um, <laughs> I forgot. I forgot to keep taking notes to the end of the episode, I think. Uh, it can be very difficult when the episode is bad. Yeah. Usually what happens there is that I get to the end and I realize I don't, I haven't written down any quick hitters. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I have so many quick hitters on this one though. Cause it was so stupid. Well, that is the part of the, uh, review that we're at. Okay. I'll do it then. Boy, boy review is a weird way to describe what we're you doing. You twisted my arm. Go ahead and give me them quickies. Uh, 
they beamed up a Bond villain with a kitty cat. Gary Seven is even a Bond villain name. I mean, it really is. He acts like the villain the whole episode. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, he knows some of those judo chops. Um, Spock and the cat get along quite well. Great captain's log. Uh, this guy said something that seems crazy, but, like, maybe, though? Is essentially what the (laughs) captain's log is. Yep. Um, Gary Seven has a totally perfect bod. Again, was this a pilot for a James Bond series? Look at that office and secret vault. Um, let's see. I guess this befuddled Earth girl was going to be like the partner and love interest? Maybe uh, fighting with the cat lady in the series? Uh, yeah, I presume that there's a jealousy angle being set up here. Maybe four-way when you count that sassy, sassy beta four. Oh, that's true. All of them would be in love with Gary Seven. Uh, Gary Seven looked like a devil, and when I wasn't looking, he kind of sounded like Nimoy. So, like, is he a Vulcan devil? With better ear disguise? He definitely recognized a Vulcan. He's doing... He is a half-Spock in this, right? Because he is not raised by humans, and he's he's trying to save humanity from itself. Yeah. But you're right that he has not... He's like one notch better than shouting the women, but he has not worked out the nuance of being a Spock yet. No, he doesn't like... He's not mugging for the camera raising his eyebrows or anything. By the way, that's fine. Jolene Blaylock hasn't worked it out yet either, so... No, she has not. Uh, Again, a fresh hot 20-year-old for old man Gary Seven. Yep. Uh, Again, she may dress like a hippie, but she is a patriot, not some Kent State trash. (laughs) Um, Yep. Kirk and Spock listening to Scotty on the communicator, telling them where to go. That's like me ignoring the obvious highway signs telling me where to go because I'm looking at my confusing GPS. They're like, they are only looking at their communicator. They're not even looking where they're walking in the room. Yeah. Well, I mean, even they're standing at the door to the lobby of the building. (laughs) It's like, go inside, idiots. He's like, "Uh, all right, I've got him uh, 10 meters above you. And they're like, what? It's like, yeah, go in the fucking building, guys. Uh, Shatner did a Shatner on this lady. Straight up picked her up and threw her. Yep. Um, again, this guy trying to convince people his very real American last name is Seven. <laughs> um, uh, this really was trying to like trying to get Star Trek notes out of an episode of Get Smart. Kind of. I was uh, just sitting here going, none of this matters. I, that's why all of my notes are in quick hitters. Um, Except I bet if you just watched an episode of Get Smart, you still would have laughed twice. That's what I'm saying. This was boring as shit, so I get why it wasn't even picked up. Uh, again, why did security guy bring the suspicious lurkers into the control room? Why he did that, though? It's a very it's a very bad... This is a military base. That's the most secure location you could bring them to? And I thought that was going to be the most baffling thing that happened. But Why does the flight director get to make the call about what to do about <laughs> these guys? But then something even more baffling happens. Kirk gives a captain's log from the control room in front of the police and everybody. <laughs> in present tense. And we have seen... And by the way, I wrote, how is Kirk giving this log? What is we have seen that... Although we often don't see him doing this, when he gives a captain's log, he's just saying all that out loud into a recorder in front of everybody. That's what I'm saying. And he's giving it so, in present tense. I'm like, oh my god, he's really uh, in that control room just talking like, into his communicator. Did that guy leave the communicator open and Kirk was like, yeah, I'll just do a captain's quick captain's log. I'll lock one out right now. 
God. Uh, and then the cat became a sexy lady. It wasn't... I mean, this got way more points for me than it really earned. Go for it. This is yeah. your, your turn. You enjoy yeah. this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I wrote, cool, cool. Fake cat noise means it's really a sexy woman, right? Mm. Why is Gary Seven on all of his documents? Can he just pick a new name? Real terrible stock footage of that Saturn V. It's supposed to be... You know, it has that... You know how sometimes uh, poorly made TV will show a still image and we're supposed to believe it's a uh, live TV feed? But it, you, I don't know how your brain does it, but it always goes, no. <laughs> yeah, his brain knows. This one is particularly poor. Yeah. Uh, this whole episode is anti-Prime Directive as hell. It turns out that humanity only made it to Star Trek because of wise alien kidnappers slash maybe slavers. Yeah. Also... They know who the Vulcans are, which at least leaves open the possibility that they did that to them, too. Yeah, there's like, uh, I don't know, uh, Surak 9. Surak 7, okay. okay. I don't know, I'm <laughs> just saying, like, yeah, out there somewhere, doing their business. Yeah. Uh, I give Best Actor to Spock. There weren't a lot of obvious choices in this one. Nemo's usually a pretty good pick. Uh, worst actor to Roberta. That's why some of my generation are kind of crazy and rebels. Mm. We don't know if we'll make it to 30. Ben's quick hitters. Uh, he guesses it was pretty funny for a computer to sass a human in the 60s. But uh, he thinks that this image that he sent us <laughs> is pretty funny and from a much better time travel tale. And then it's the uh, the punk on the bus uh, Star Trek flipping forward. off Kirk. Flipping off Spock? Flipping off Spock. I think it, it might have been Kirk. I think Kirk is the one who keeps leaning over and saying, will you turn that down? Oh, yeah, maybe. And he turns it up and flips him off or whatever. Uh, I haven't watched Star Trek Four in way too long. Does Is there a bumper sticker on the side of that guy's boombox that says, I hate you? <laughs> yeah, it's, it, that's his song. He plays it constantly every day. And then it's, he has stickers of it, too. It's too bad that Kirk didn't know the formula. How many megatons? Which is to say, you're not mad at me, you're mad at your dad. <laughs> I forgive you. I forgive you. <laughs> yeah, that would have been good if he knew that. Uh, also, why uh, Billy Idol style, this guy has a, <laughs> an upside down crucifix in his ear. Yeah. He's, <laughs> there's dude, a lot going on here. There's a lot in this picture, for sure. That's the music director for the <laughs> yeah. movie. He's the guy who is performing the song. Uh, yeah. But he is making a very good facial expression as he flips them <laughs> off. It's a good movie. I don't know what to say. It's not even really a Star Trek movie, but it's a good movie. Good soundtrack, too. It makes me giggle. <laughs> it's a free Michelob ad, and I enjoy it. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, well, Jesus. All right, well, 50 minutes of that. Yeah, and you get to do the next one, too. Oh, boy, I sure do. I'm going to need this tea. Yeah. <laughs> then uh, I'm going to do three straight. In fourth place last week was Enterprise. This week we watched Rajin. I got faith. The Council of Monsters is in session again, <laughs> and they're demanding. That their scientist Degris speed up work on his doomsday weapon. That oh, was the best part of the episode. It was, it was all downhill from here. Luckily, cooler heads prevail. By which I mean the dolphin boys show up and calm things <laughs> down. 
One particular monster, I haven't learned all their names. No, it's very uh, conf- I've, I thought I saw some new ones this week. I wasn't sure. Yeah, are there nine of these guys now? I'm know. confused. Uh, talks ominously about their other plan, which they've all rejected as too dangerous. But uh, if uh, Degra doesn't get his shit together soon, they may have to consider all the options on the Enterprise. Mm. T-Pole and Trip are having another pajama party. <sighs> yep. And Trip's concerned the whole ship is talking about the night visits. Mm. And her response is, it's nobody's goddamn business, and if we wanted to fuck, we could. That is exactly what she says. And the reasoning? They're senior officers. They're senior officers. They don't have to answer to the peons. It doesn't matter what Malcolm Reed, (laughs) who may be the next most senior (laughs) officer below them, thinks. doesn't matter what crew members 3 through 80 think. Right, exactly. (laughs) Look, we're number two and three here. Yeah, we're we're in charge of this. Who cares shit. what number four has to say? Yeah, that ain't how this works. Yeah. Archer wakes up. He's um he's having nightmares and he's got a bunch of skin lesions. Basically, being cavemen last week. Mm. Uh, for some, this is the only time, except for maybe uh, in the episode family, that it has repercussions the next week. Yep. So he goes to talk to Phlox. They're trying to get their hands on some goddamn Trillium D. Still. To uh, More prevent continuity. further spatial anomalies. Um, and, uh, I don't know. They stopped for gas at some planet, and they got uh, they got the name of a chemist who can maybe teach them how to make it. Right. So, they head on down to Waterworld, and they, uh, they go to meet this guy. He's got too many nostrils, and they're all running. Yeah. And he sends Archer to talk to, uh, well, while they, well, he bids on the, well, he has Trip, which is a wild choice. While he has Trip negotiate for the formula, mm. uh, he also asks, hey, you seen any Zindi recently? Because I've got kind of a one-track mind about the whole he, thing. He does, he cannot be cool about it. He can't hide it even for one second. Everyone he runs into in this part of space, he's like, Zindi though, what about him? Tell me. And the guy's like, oh yeah, you're going to want to go talk to the whoremonger. We just had some Zindis here, so. Yeah, they were getting their fucking Zindi dicks wet. Yeah, so he goes and talks to this guy who like, um, I don't quite understand, because it seems like he sells these women. Yes. Like, permanently? Seems like a sex slavery salesman. But he's only got six of them. Those are the floor models. You you didn't see his warehouse. It must take a lot of time to train them, is the thing that I think is true i don't know anyway uh he's uh he tries to sell archer one of these sex slaves and archer i mean he doesn't say no is the thing he just gets a call from trip saying yeah i've worked it all out didn't take very long say by the bell so he uh he heads off but uh one particular woman was making crazy eyes at him and she chases him and begs him to take her away they have a dumb fight with the slaver they get in the shuttle pod they leave hmm there are no repercussions for him stealing this woman, and no one is interested in that. Nope. Everyone's like, hey, you think someone would have like reported us to the space police, but nah. They didn't get a call about it or anything. Trip goes down there later with a uh, <laughs> pelican case full of spices, it's just true. on his own. It's true. They just keep doing business at that same place. Yeah, just go right back to the guy. By the way, they had this fight in front of that guy's shop. Like, if, <laughs> if Archer was smart... Which we know he's not. He'd be like, no one was watching the shop when you went down there? <laughs> At all? Yep. Huh. No, what's he doing instead? No one has called me about this woman either. Yeah. Yeah, no, so... Archer... 
so this woman, she doesn't seem to know any life except for sex slavery. Mm. So, of course, Archer invites her to dinner alone Obviously. at the captain's table. Yeah. Gives her the run of the ship. He, he didn't see Perfect Mate, so he doesn't know what's going on. He's a real Riker about this, I think. Uh, kind of. Um, Trip and T-Pole uh, set up a backcountry still on E-Deck to try and make Trellium D. Yeah. Archer has uh, found, found Regine's home planet, and he's going to take her there. She's not excited about it, and he doesn't care. He doesn't care about any of this, so he doesn't ask any questions. He does ask her many times about the Zindi, though, because again... <laughs> he keeps asking her over and over again about the fucking Zindi. His memory resets each time. Every time he runs into her, he's like, what about the Zindi, though? Yeah, and she's like, I'm a sex slave. I don't know anything about the Zindi. Yep. They didn't seem nice. I'm happy they didn't buy me. Yep. Uh... Anyway, he succumbs to her weird sex gifts, which include uh, hand x-rays... <laughs> and open mouth kissing. Yeah, just seeing what's in there. But then it's like, but maybe he didn't though, because it turns out to be like a weird fantasy. I'm not clear as to what exactly happened there. Did he forget that it happened? He's pretty cool about it. He's like, she acts like it only happened in his mind, and he's like, ah, man, I guess I had a weird waking dream, <laughs> yeah, he's vivid like, waking sex dream about a person right in front of me. Well, anyway, he's like jizzing in his pants. He's like, ugh, and she's like, Captain, and he's like, oh yeah, what? Hmm? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, have fun on the ship. Yeah, but yeah, go see whatever you like. It's all good here. Um, the massage twins blow up their pot still. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, T. Paul says, "Well, we got time to kill. Why don't you come over for some touching?" God, it's fucking. She is so into it. She she is into it, and he doesn't seem to think that's weird at all. Um, Hoshi runs into Rajin hanging out at the transporter, and, um, and then she kind of, and I don't know if she's a telepath, because they don't explain any of this. She kind of psychically seduces Hoshi, too. Real quick. Or maybe Hoshi's, uh, you know, a little more flexible, because she seemed way into that dude on that other planet, but I guess she's, uh, she's pretty open. She's allowed to get her rocks off, but this happens in, like, a second and a half. Uh, it's really quick. They hold hands all the way to the uh, mess hall or whatever. Yeah. But then, and this is, again, this, this episode is bad. Then. Thank you uh, for saying, yes, it is. It's very bad. <laughs> then Re- then Regine is just in T-Paul's closet. Yeah. She just like steps out from around a corner in T-Paul's quarters. It's Babylon 5 setting. They didn't know and how T-Paul to set has, it. has already changed into her pajamas and shit. So like, was she hiding there for kind of a long time? <laughs> She, presumably she got in there before T-Pol. Then T-Pol came in and she's like, oh, maybe she's just stopping by. And then she saw her change into her PJs and she's like, ah, oh, fuck. Oh, she gonna be it. here a while. I better come out. <laughs> uh, all right. All right. I guess I'll come out and I'll start the, uh, I'll start trying to seduce you with the, boy, it must be lonely to be the only Vulcan on a ship full of humans. Mm. Uh, but it gets, uh, it gets rapey. Yeah. With a quickness. Yeah. Uh, but luckily, at that point, Trip shows up for his for his sesh. Yeah, for his hot touching sesh. And uh, you know, the door chimes break her weird spell that she's got on T Pole, and they get into a big cat fight. Uh, and then uh, Trip Trip hears the noises and breaks in, and then Regine busts a vase over his head and runs away. Mm, and T Pole's left all like uh, comatose or whatever. Right at this point. 
the caption spoil it for you because she makes contact with a male reptilian. <laughs> Thanks, captions. Saying, saying that she can use the transporter if he can get within 10,000 kilometers. Hmm. And she seduces a phase pistol off of a security guard and leads Reed on a dumb running firefight through the ship. And makes it to the transporter. Yeah. But Archer and the crew uh, catch her there and send her right to the brig. They blocked her communications. Right. So now she's in the brig. We saw Archer threatening that pirate in earlier. Yeah, I wondered if he was going to try to put her in the airlock, too. Uh, at this point, uh, anything goes. But she's a woman, so he wouldn't. <sighs> T-Pole's unconscious in sick bay. Archer goes to question her. Doesn't really get anything useful out of her. She's very afraid for her life, I guess. Hmm. Um, two Zindi reptilian ships arrive and they fire on the Enterprise and bring it out of warp. Eventually, Regine tells him they're building a bioweapon. They needed information about his species. Zindi break in, dumb firefight with Makos. The Makos don't win the fight, basically. The Zindi no one, none are of them like, die, though. The Zindi seem like they're phaser resistant in some way. They do seem to be phaser resistant and they've got basically halo weapons. Yes. like. They shoot a blob that then shoots a bunch of needles at people that don't kill them. Or Yeah, they got some hella special video game weapons for sure. Yeah. Anyway, they got fancy weapons. They bust her on out of the uh, out of the brig. Uh, they take her back through the airlock. Archer gives chase. They disappear into some kind of vortex. He can't follow them. And at the end of the day, Archer's left there with um, the body of a dead reptilian. Mm. And one of their weapons. Oh, good. But the Council of Monsters has Regine and a big map of human anatomy, and they start work on the bioweapon. Okay. So, Matt. Mmm. What's this damn episode about? Yeah, nothing. I mean, it's not about anything, but um, <laughs> m- uh, maybe the standard theme of nothing is quite as it appears, or maybe no good deed goes unpunished. Yeah, I had that at one point. I mean, those are both pretty lame in this case. Uh, either of those would earn a three from me. What about ben, y'all? Uh, ben, ben gave up, basically. <laughs> His take for this one is don't be trusting hoes, and Come it's on. a one. Come on, Ben. First of all, Ben, it's we really don't love hoes. Yeah. And it never trust a big button a smile is what you probably That's, would have wanted I here. I think where you wanted to go. Yeah. Uh, eventually I settled on you can't half go to war. Mm. This is the opposite of the pirate episode where he's telling Archer you can't be civilized. Being civilized here isn't going to work. And at the end, Archer's like, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> right? I guess he. I guess Archer doesn't really believe he can be civilized there either, but he just, at the end, he doesn't shoot the guy at the airlock or whatever. Right. But you can't go rescuing handsome women and giving them the run of the ship when worlds are at stake. There's another thing running through here about what you're willing to do to get information. Yeah. Because it's like, he is constantly trying to get information about the goddamn Zindi. Yeah. And he, like, he's obsessed with it, but he has taken absolutely no, uh, countermeasures to protect information that the Zindi might want to get about him. Yeah, it's like he hadn't thought about that part. He just lets this woman run all over the goddamn ship. It's like, like whatever. He only is, it's like he doesn't think they know he's coming or something. Yeah. He uh, really is underestimating them very badly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, me and the crew used to do her. <laughs> well, that's how you know. Mm-hmm. That's how you know she's a loser. 
<laughs> yeah, but I know she's a loser. How do you know? Me and the crew used to do her. <gasps> Crazy music. All right. Um. Uh, anyway, I gave my take a four. It's it's dumb post 9-11 thinking. Right. Uh, it's, you know, it's kind of an ends justify the means thinking, but. Uh, at least it's a take. I don't know. It's a take. There's nothing particularly science fiction-y about it. Although, I guess, I guess it's, it wouldn't seem like she has access to anything except for the science fiction-y stuff with her hand x-rays, etc. Right. Whatever kind of weird alien she is. Oh, I assumed that was an augmentation of some kind. Mm-hmm. Although, Flocks, Flocks does a binars in this one where he had, he had I, I, well, I have no knowledge of her species, but she seems perfectly healthy to me. There seems to be in perfect health. Yep. Well, don't worry. There's a lot of that going around this week with doctors. Yeah. Doctors make some wild shit. Yep. Make some wild assumptions. Um, execution. Yeah. Okay. So you give it a four on the take. What about the exe? Uh, I liked it a little less. I gave it a three. Okay. So I don't love how this episode throws together whatever's happening with T-Pole and Trip, which at this point it seems like she's trying to advance maybe. She needs that shit. Talk, talking about, look, if we fuck, we fuck. <laughs> we are allowed like, to fuck whenever we want, even on the bridge. Who cares? But I don't love that this episode has uh, their sexy times plot. Smash cut to uh, Regine sexually assaulting T-Pole. Yeah, yeah. I don't like that juxtaposition. You don't like Especially that, if yeah. you're not going to say anything about it. Yeah, I just wish... Like, I'd... it's just a thing that happens to T... By the way, for no reason. I wish, in general, she would wear all of her clothes, and then no one would do any touching. Yeah, okay, sure. Absolutely. That'd be good. But also, like... <clears throat> if the writer said, well... T-Paul can't be seduced, so she's going to have to be mind-raped. <laughs> I hate that. Yeah, it's not good. Also, but then also, nobody said it in the episode. Mm. So, in-universe, there is no reason given for this uh, assault. Yeah. Like, why she didn't try to seduce T-Paul or just stay away from her? All the ladies said, the lady in the brig says she shouldn't have resisted. That's it. Like, if this, if they make a bioweapon and it kills all the humans on the ship and only T-Pole and Phlox are left alive, yep. that works. <laughs> yep. That is, this is not an emergency that she get T-Pole's DNA. Also, makes no attempt to get Phlox's. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. What is she so that scene is, uh, is gratuitous, and a gratuitous sexual assault is the worst kind. Yep. Yes. Another big problem. Seems like the Zindi could have just destroyed Enterprise if they'd sent, like, five more men on board. I was going to say, they the humans lost that fight so bad. They forced him out of warp. The ship doesn't have Trellium D yet. Yeah. Just they win They win the boarding, all of the boarding party fights. Just destroy the ship and make Earth send another one. And uh, one more big problem. It's impossible not to laugh at the Council of Monsters <laughs> at the beginning and end. It's true. I laugh so much each time. <laughs> And I cheer too. I cheer when Dolphin Boy shows up and goes. It's it's unbelievable that this 
B-grade 1950s science fiction is happening. There's two Zorax and two Dolphin Boys. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And don't forget an ape one and a couple of lizardmen. The lizardmen have weird antennae, too. I thought they were more different lizards or something. There's at least a, there's the at least the insect kind and the lizard kind. Ugh. Uh, yeah, really, this is a lesser work, even for Enterprise. It's not great. Uh, ben gave it as as many as two. Okay. He says uh, they they make all of the uh, the women attractive to the viewer. Oh, Archer like, just straight up steals them. Like they're saying, please be turned on by sex slaves. That's correct. Okay. Uh, oh, and then he asks if the Zindi can easily board and overpower the crew. Why don't they just take out the Enterprise? It kind of undermines the entire season. Yeah, because then they'd have to send one of their other Earth ships. We know they only got like four. Uh, yeah, and also the other people on Earth would have no way of knowing what happened. That's so right. They'd have to just... It'd take them a long time to figure it out. It definitely just... would buy a lot of time. Yeah, they'd basically just wait until they thought uh, they weren't going to get an answer. And just send yeah, and then and even then they wouldn't know that the Zindi did anything. They'd be like, they probably got turned inside out, like the Vulcan said. The Vulcan guy's been telling us horror stories every day since Enterprise. Oh, it's like you know, Soval hasn't shut up yeah. about it. He's like, well, they're you know, Archer's dead. dead. I mean, he's dead. You know that, right? He's probably like all just like ribs and guts all on the outside now. Logically speaking, logically, he's definitely dead. <laughs> don't have a funeral. He's gone. Guys, don't even debate this with me. I'm using logic right now logically he's gone <laughs> it's fine you guys don't know about logic it's fine um, World building. wait wait i didn't give you my execution score oh shit yeah no give it to me uh, you uh, i wanted to be talked down but I ha- i'm already so low <laughs> i mean some of the things you said i hadn't even really thought of and i was like god that is not good and then the thing ben said about how it was almost sort of trying to glorify sex slavery and it's like god damn it like, they're already oh, yeah. so low. How do I take points away? <laughs> because it's Star Trek, they couldn't not give the woman a lot of underboob. Mm, a lot of underboob this week, too. <laughs> uh, except, weirdly, for uh, Regine, who they kind of put in a wedding dress. Yeah. Do you see, like, she she's the modestly dressed because she is the poor victim that Archer has to help, so they gotta dress her up like that. It, it's very... It's very Michael Piller. Well, anyway, it was a two, Very now it's Rick a one. Berman. Okay. <laughs> so, there you go. I got talked down. Look, uh, here's the one good note. Even though it's kind of a departure from normal Trek, I don't mind all the serialized continuity stuff going on. Like, it makes it feel more reasonable. Like, why, why didn't anybody ever talk about the time Riker was an ape and Troy was a lizard? Like, why didn't that come oh, up yeah. again? No one yeah, ever talks again. about it. Um, so, I like that part. Everything else is terrible. All the things that you mentioned, all the things Ben mentioned, some horrible fucking Hong Kong gun violence scenes with this lady, like, diving around engineering and, like, doing some... I think some doves started flying around at one point. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Uh, Pervy sci-fi writer shit. Pretty typical for Enterprise. No exploration of premise of any kind. Just a sexy action thrill ride. Um, Yeah, it's a one. Imagine if the movie Die Hard had opened and closed with a council of sinister German men. <laughs> <laughs> fucking wild. What are you talking about, Klaus? Um, what did you give it for world building? Um, I have it as a three, but I was stuck between a two and a three. So here's what I got. 
I didn't realize before that there was a Zorak and the the reptilian dude who also has antennae or like things coming out of his face. So I was confused. I think we've seen all five types, right? I think they've all been in it, but it seems I just seemed like there were more. Um, still on the hunt for Trellium D. Uh, it can only be synthesized in its liquid form, but it's just as effective as an insulator, as the solid form, but it's very unstable. Well, apparently it will set on the hull, like set on the inside of the hull, right. and then it'll be doing its thing. Xanthan marmots. Galactic sex slavery. None of this is anything. The planet Orontaku. I'm sorry, she says Orontaku, and then... <laughs> She says Orantaku or something like that. And then in the next scene, Archer goes, Orantaku. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's <laughs> a real camp off. He, well, he did a Riker. He did a Varul. <laughs> he did a Varul. Yeah, that's true. She literally should just go, that's not That's not what I said. Uh, spice trade is live and well in this part of space. Uh, that's mm-hmm. the, what Trip is trading. Um, this chick's powers work on men and women, and while realistic, it's notable because of Star Trek's fear of homosexuality. Yep. Yep. Uh, I guess the new weapon is a bioweapon now, and not a big old laser? This is a new weapon. This is the new one. The new one's a bioweapon. That laser they've already abandoned. The big. Well, they can't make the big for All they can do is carve one huge trench. I guess they couldn't send a thousand of those or something. Because <laughs> it seems like, like that would be pretty good. Make a better one or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Zindi seem to have some kind of phaser-resistant armor. Uh, something rarely seen even in the 24th century. Not sure how to do Yeah, at the end, the one who gets killed kills himself. And only after a Mako hits him with a club and then stuns him with a cattle prod. Yes. That is also that club. By the way, what is that club? Yeah, let's get some of that club Seems going. good. Not sure how to describe the thing that that Zindi shot out of his gun. The thing with all the needles. <laughs> Not sure what that was. Um, I couldn't... I can't even tell you... I, I guess because those guys didn't die, they probably weren't physical needles. Yeah. they each got hit with a thousand of them. That's true. So I think it was like a two worth of stuff, but I was giving an extra point for various kinds of continuity strengthening the world building mm-hmm. i'm at three for now uh i also am a three and it is and by the way you mentioned everything that i said uh it is well except for so what we've learned about the zindi plans but you mentioned that too yeah uh, it is entirely on the strength of trip trading spices for that information <laughs> yeah. because uh that probably is the only valuable or interesting thing that Enterprise has. Like, hey, here's some weird spices you don't have yet. Yeah. You figure it out. It's like a, a unique thing for each culture, so that makes sense. Yeah. I was bummed out that one of them was paprika. That guy is going to be disappointed. <laughs> He's like, ooh, this black pepper is something. Huh? <laughs> yeah, ooh. Ooh, ooh. Ooh, cayenne. Ooh, what you got? Pe- what? This one's just red. And what does it do? It has no flavor. He's like calling, it's red. He's calling the Enterprise three days later. What's the red one do? Is it for is it uh, for anything? We put it on deviled eggs. I guess you don't really taste it though. You mostly taste the, the deviled egg stuff. <laughs> it's mostly I guess you mostly taste mustard, huh? <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. We should have given you like oregano. Should have given you another. You know what? Next time we're in the area, we'll go back. We'll give you another one. We'll catch you. We'll give you some cinnamon next time. You know oh, what? Yeah. Man, I should have given you cinnamon. That was dumb. That's red too. You know, I know we're supposed to, like, when you're trading, you're supposed to try and get an advantage. That, but that really was on me. I should not have given you paprika. <laughs> I feel, I do feel bad about that. 
Ben had it as a three in world building as well, mostly just notes about the costumes and stuff. That the the good makeup and costume jobs in the beginning, but the reptiles indie have horrible costumes, and then it's okay. yeah, they all kind of dress like Ming the Merciless. It's very bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, characterizations. I do think Trip would be uncomfortable with people starting rumors about him. Seems like it. But I can't imagine T'Pol would be so blasé about it. So those two kind of wash out. Right. Like, that doesn't seem right, that she'd just be like, fuck it. Yeah, she's like, uh, let the whole crew think we're fucking unclogging each other's deuterium injectors or whatever they were talking about. She didn't tell nobody when she got mind meld aids. Oh, yeah. She definitely has some thoughts about what people think about her. Maybe this is her new rebel phase now that she's quit the science academy now or whatever. Now she's got three or four different cat suits. That's right. So I'll wear pink. What the fuck? That's right. It's kind of a salmon. Um, I guess this episode is going to teach Archer to be even more of a Jack Bauer this year, so I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> That's right. He's just going to lead with putting a bag over someone's head and screaming in their face, Tell me who you work for! Yep. Tell me about the Zindian. I want to know about the Zindian! Shooting him in the kneecap and shit. And then I wonder if we're meant to believe that Hoshi has a little of this insider or if it was alien nonsense. I imagine that they'll just back down and we'll never see it again. Yeah. Uh, I ended up giving it only four points for characterization. I was on the same page. Trip and T-Pole are still asking each other to do it harder and other nasty shit. Yep. But Trip's all in his feelings about it because people are talking. T-Pole's cool with it, though. Archer, like Riker, is not into slavery or servitude, but very into fucking servants and slaves. (laughs) Yep. I mean, he doesn't do it, but he fucking wants to. Yeah, he uh, does. Not much character work other than that. It was a four for me as well, yeah. Uh, this is one where I stopped keeping... Well, let's jump right into your quick hitters, and I'll just warn you that mine don't go to the end of the episode. Yeah, and Ben gave it a two on characterization. He was even less enthused than us. Yeah. Um. Okay, quick hitters. I wish I knew more DC Comics bad guys so I could make better jokes about the Council of Doom, <laughs> Dolphin Boy, and all them. Yep. <laughs> Because it's, I mean, it is just ripe. Um, Star Trek and Underboob, man. I know. Is it the wave of the future? Like, what's happening? I, it's We've uh, seen yeah. it all over DS9. I mean, you know, even, even in the 60s, they used to joke about women on Star Trek. But from DS9 onward, I mean, they're... Nothing in Justice. Like, Justice is just the outfits from uh, what are little girls made of, but they're shorts now. <laughs> That's right. And yeah, because everyone's the same so coverage fit. on top. Because they're fit and they jog. Right. Yeah. Also, it seems like it's probably warm there. I don't know. Wesley doesn't seem uncomfortable in that sweater. Yeah, he'll even play bo- baseball. Play ball. Yeah. With them. Yeah. 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 Uh, he needs a ball um, and a bat. That's what he needs. Okay. Uh, Rudge- but no, you're right. The underboob starting from DS9 onward is insane. Yeah. Uh, Rajin, the name of the episode, that's the lady. Okay, great. And she's a real Jatrell. Again, the lady just says, Orontaku, but an Archer Rebis it is. Orontaku. <laughs> uh, they can't find this lady something better than those revealing pajamas she's walking around the ship in? They make no attempt. They don't put her in a jumpsuit. Bro, she didn't bring up her own clothes, and she was in that dress when they saved her. 
they gave her those revealing pajamas and said, that's good enough. You're right. She got those somewhere, didn't she? That's good enough. Just take those. Fucking Archer. Come to dinner. Wear your revealing pajamas we gave you. The ship issue. Yeah, where the fuck did she get those? Yeah, bro. Did she get those from Ensign Cutler or something? Whose pajamas were they? She was in T-Pole's closet, probably. There's no replicators. Yeah, I don't even know what happened, but that's where Whose she got pajamas them. pajamas are those? She got them on Enterprise. <laughs> they came up in a shuttle. She ran from her slaver. Yeah, in her wedding dress. That's what I'm saying. Fuck. Hold on. I gotta go back and lower my little <laughs> score. Because the ship issue, sexy pajamas. That doesn't make any sense. It's nonsense. <laughs> Where'd they come from? Can they give her a jacket or something? Like, if someone on Enterprise D is wearing some sexy pajamas, they went up to the computer and told them what they wanted. <laughs> computer, pajamas, sexy. Yeah. Yeah, did, bro. Like, did she borrow those pajamas from someone, but they didn't tell her how you're supposed to wear them, and she just stopped buttoning when she hit the bottom of her boobs? <laughs> She's wearing those pajamas like a cholo. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would be buttoned once all the way at the top, just which but- is not quite. She just buttoned it. the one and then went, whatever. Yeah, it's all fine. Uh, I also stopped taking notes. That's all I had. Uh, I would have given this episode the full 40 points possible uh-huh. if, in the opening scene, people had started singing something to talk about. <laughs> Let's give him something to talk about. If he was about. like, oh, there's all these rumors. And she was just like, people are talking. <laughs> talking about people. And, but she would have had to do all the way through the for, through the first chorus. Oh, yeah. They, she would have had to sing uncomfortably long. Yeah. Well, yeah. And by the yeah, way. You got to get to something to talk about. The si- you just got to talk about love. I want, want them c- cutting between her singing and the same two seconds of Trip looking uncomfortable. Clearly just Laugh over and over again. Just a little too loud. You'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> that would have been a 40. Uh, would have been my first and probably only 40. They'll never get it. Because they, they'll never get there. Uh, are these skin lesions continuity from being a caveman? Sounded I think like in the it. end that they were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. One of those dead animals in that Waterworld market was just a pig. Yeah, they got it was space just a pig. They got space Taichi. Then I said Barat Ud is going to be so disappointed when he gets around to Tarang Paprika. Mm-hmm. Uh, if this had been workaholics, Archer would have been visibly torqued when he cut back from that fantasy scene. <laughs> and I kind honestly, I kind of missed it. Forty points. Yeah, oh yeah, okay, yeah, forty points for sure. If Archer had a visible <laughs> erection after that, uh, it's true. It's yeah. It seemed like something was off about that scene, and it was uh, he's not torqued. Yeah, why isn't he torqued? He should be torqued. Yeah. I gave best actor this week to Hoshi. Okay. And worst actor to Why Are You in My Quarters, T. Paul, who was like, not not even one third as annoyed and weirded out as she should have been. She's. She is not prepared to do anything about this woman being in her quarters, she just but looks she at has. Her. She looks like she's grinding her teeth, <laughs> like she's so pissed off that this is happening, but she's not gonna do shit. She's gonna sit there and take it. Why is there a home invader here? Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do anything, but I'm not happy about it. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> In third place, uh, sorry, did Ben have quick hitters? No, he didn't. He didn't have okay. it. Okay. Uh, in third place last week was Voyager. This week we watched Alter Ego. He's in love with a girl. He's in love with someone real. She's a carrot. Carrot. 
I should uh, just send Liam Lynch an email and ask him to send me the actual master of that. <laughs> Instead of that shitty thing you got off of YouTube I, or whatever. I cannot believe this is the last time. This is already the second time I've played that clip. I cannot believe this is the last time that the show in last place in our project is going to have a character fall in love with a woman on the holodeck. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, not possible. I mean, I used it in week 34 when Schmullis did it. And here we are again in week 55. <laughs> they'll talk about in the episode how it happens to everyone. So uh, Tom Paris asserts that it happens to everyone. <laughs> I'm sure it'll come up again. And and uh, Harry Kim doesn't say, really? <laughs> that doesn't seem right. That doesn't everyone sound like just, a fact. Or just me and also you. That's <laughs> right. Everyone? All right, I'll just read what I got here. Uh-oh, I already zoned out and we haven't even hit the credits yet. Okay, let's do this. They, um... They looking at a nebula for science reasons, but our yeah. boy Harry K can't focus on his sensors. Uh, he goes to see Tuvork for emotional guidance because, wait for it, he's in love with a hologram. Credits. He goes. He goes to tu- He doesn't. It's not like Tuvok is his best friend and mentor. He goes to Tuvok because he has straight up decided he's an android too, and that he doesn't feel any pain. <laughs> Just like in that episode, Hero Worship? Yeah. Is that the one? Yeah, he went, yeah, he goes up there and he goes, I am functioning within normal parameters, Tuvok. Uh, he does Tuvok. He does. He wants to suppress all his emotions. It's wild. Tuvok takes Harry to the holodeck to deconstruct his emotional complex in order to conquer it. They meet the lady he's way into who is posing, I guess, who is... The character is an entertainment director in the dumb hollow program with all the bikinis and shit. Yep. They chat for a bit, and Tuvok tells him humans are too dumb for romance, but Vulcans do that shit right. And uh, now it becomes clear that Harry Kay is just looking for some advice in his first relationship? What about Libby? That's, well... What about... He wasn't... Turns out he wasn't that into her. I guess. Well, it's true he wasn't. Um... This nebula they've been looking at is acting weird, but in a hella boring way that may end up being tenuously tied to the plot later. We'll find out. Um, Tom Paris comes to pick Harry up for the luau that's going to happen on the Dumb Hollow program and finds him meditating. I think um, uh, TP is jealous, maybe because Harry didn't come to him for love advice. Uh, Harry's convinced to go to the luau because this episode isn't even remotely about anything. (laughs) Sorry, there's a lot of talk about a luau in this episode, and I kept sitting there going, what is happening? It's fucking luau night, and don't worry, everyone is going to do a cultural appropriation. Yes. uh, Chakotay does not feel weird about it in the least. No, he doesn't talk about how they need to be sensitive to these hollow cultures, this hollow luau. At the luau, everything terrible happens, and now I have to write the words, Tuvok starts chatting up Harry's hollow lady, and Vorik expresses romantic interest in Bellana, which makes Tom Paris jealous, because fuck me and the asshole. Yeah, Vorik's in this one again. Uh, the nebula's still being weird, and they're content to leave it as a mystery, but whoops, the ship is stuck. So, more time to do hollow nonsense, I guess. Harry's so distracted and... No, oh, sorry, let's jump in one... one. Mm. I just want to go one step deeper because this is wild. The Nebula should should ought to have exploded. Yeah, it's supposed to. They only last like a minute, they say, normally, but this one just keeps plugging away. And even when part of it exploded, the rest didn't. Mm-hmm. So, Chakotay and Janeway fucking look at each other and they go, Fuck me, dog. If we can figure this out... 
we can figure out a way to stop warp core breaches. (laughs) No matter what they're caused by. Just in general. Yeah. And then nobody says, that seems a little big for us to tackle way out here alone in the Delta Quadrant. (laughs) Maybe we should should. go home. You know, let's go home and we can tell people where we saw this cool nebula. Yep. And show them all of our sensor. Now... Nope, they're going to stick around. Well, they, they say they're going to leave, and it's going to be Harry's problem to work out how all this is going down. And it's going to take oh, yeah, him... They, they do, you're right. At the point that you're at in this episode, they have collected all the data, and Harry Kim's like, eh, it's, it's going to take, take me like... like six weeks to <laughs> yeah. run the simulations. And thankfully, Janeway doesn't say, well, let's do it here. Yes, at least she says at that point, finally, we can go now. Um, Harry's hella distracted in engineering and, uh, Balana says, Hey, get the fuck out of here. So he's, he heads for his quarters, but changes his mind and heads back to the holodeck where he catches Tuvork and his lady in a hot game of Vulcan Jenga. And they have a pissy little fight about her before Harry storms off. Yeah. Tuvork goes to his quarters and finds the hollow lady there using the mobile emitter. So like, that's not good. It ain't good. He calls for security and sounds red alert, but she silences it with her dang mind and disappears, leaving the mobile emitter behind. They have a staff meeting where they discuss the possibility of, like, a Moriarty-style program uh, uh, taking over the ship. Uh, They go to the holodeck, and when they discover a subspace uplink coming from somewhere in space, the resort staff attack and injure Tom Paris and Bellana Torres with some real... Polynesian nonsense. <laughs> Tacking them with tiki torches and weird shit. Uh, they manage to shoot the control panel, and because it's Star Trek, that saves them. Yep. Uh, but then Voyager is pulled into the nebula, and the inertial dampeners go offline, and everything gets all shaky. Uh, yeah. Bellana, A bunch of fucking plasma bolts start hitting the ship. Bellana deduces that uh, that lady, or whoever's controlling her, is on a hidden ship or station in the nebula. Now, I zoned out again. <laughs> but Tvork eventually beams over to this dumb station and chats yeah. with this lonely loser over there. And she's like, uh, my job is to make sure the nebula doesn't blow up because my people like to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> and I've now gone a bit peculiar. That's right. I've got I've got weird cabin fever, and that's here. why I'm in your system. And your sh- I'm all your base are belong to us now. And um, Tuvort goes, yeah, that's cool. Maybe you should go home though, because it sounds like you're pretty lonely. Hey, I figured it out. You're very lonely. You're very lonely. He plays the same shrink role he was with the. Uh, uh, with Harry earlier, and he says, "You're." He, I mean, he doesn't go all. He doesn't tell her she's a sumac, and <laughs> and he's her pontor or whatever. <laughs> Uh, but she's like, ah, actually, you know what? That's cool. That's actually, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that thing. But what about you? And she's like, uh, what are you going to do? You're all alone. Yeah. Where's your wife though, dog? Like, uh, you're lonely too. Right. And he's like, nah, I'm good. I'll go. I'm going to stay on this ship and I'm going to go home to my wife, but you go home. Um, anyway, Voyager's freed. Tuvok goes back to being the shrink. Uh, like I said, the shrink with this chick. Then Tuvark apologizes to Harry in the next scene, and they decide to play Vulcan Jenga together on the holodeck. And a lady comes up, and she's like, "Hey!" And they're like, "No, we're broing out. We don't need ladies around." And that's the end of the episode. Yeah. I mean, it is. Yeah. <laughs> what is this? What was it? What was this one? 
Yeah, um, this one is No Man is an Island Unto Himself. Okay. So, Marina, I don't remember if you said her name. I did not. Um, she fetishizes her isolation. Mm. Like, she's like, I like it out here. My people don't get me. Yeah. And you and me, Tuvok, we're the same. You're the only Vulcan on a ship full of humans. We'll talk about it. Mm. Yes. Uh, <laughs> And she completely fails to see how badly she is trying to make a connection. Yeah. Um, I think we are also intended to believe that Tuvok's curiosity about her or attraction to... Like, the reason he's going to the holodeck to play chess with her is because he also needs more companionship than he's letting on. Yeah. Like... Well, look, there's a reason when he Harry got so Kim blows swept. up at him jealously. Yeah. He's not 100% wrong. He's like, even if you know you're just going to talk, even if you think you're just going to talk to a computer program or whatever, like, you know that I have weird emotions about this computer program and what you're doing is not respectful. Yeah. Uh, and Tuvok does not seem to analyze his own motivation for doing it, but she suggests that it's because he's super lonely. Right. And then at the end... We see him dissatisfied with his weird chess meditation, and he's going to go make Harry Kim his best friend, right? That's the idea of the end of it? Yeah. And uh, look, uh, there's obviously a reason he dove into this whole Harry Kim thing in the first place. He didn't pull on uh, the same trick he pulled on Neelix the uh, last time, where he yep, just walks, true. Where he walks into he, a turbo lift and leaves. He knows how to duck on someone, for sure. <laughs> yeah, he gets into this because I think he is lonely. He's like, oh, shit, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to take you under my wing and turn you into Vulcan Harry. So I guess that's the take. No man is an island unto himself. It's okay. uh, it's not Star Trekky. It's not, it's not Star Trekky because it assumes that, like the, if you see someone who wants to be alone, just push through. <laughs> like really they really need a friend, right? So that's not very Star Trekky. It's not nuanced, right? And also, this the the does not need to be any science fit. Like number one, uh, none of the emotional content of the story changes if it was a, just a holodeck character. That they were both infatuated with, or if it was another crewman. Oh, yeah. There's nothing that needs to be, this alien has taken over this computer. They clearly, they needed a backup. They needed a B-plot, and then they needed to link them. Right. Yeah. So, that's why I say it's not, it's not sci-fi either. Yeah. Um, On the other hand, I don't hate it. I gave it four. I also gave it a four, but mine is a little bit more cynical. It's that hackers are lonely losers. Look, no matter what I picked, it wasn't going to score as well as four. Because What was it? Being alone makes you crazy? Is that better? The worst prison guess, is loneliness? So. Yeah, something like that. Those are worse than four points. I picked the <laughs> best scoring take because it's at least sort of true. Hackers are lonely losers, and especially uh, in the late 90s, they needed to tell people about the scary hackers out there. Uh, I mean, the, we there definitely was a lot of intellectual bandwidth burned on talking about hackers <laughs> um just uh for example that microsoft episode from not that long ago that guy was some kind of weird fucking loser what was his name <laughs> uh, he was straight up evil gil bates <laughs> what, what do they call him i forgot you know from chrono works works yeah that was the name of the company i don't remember the character's <laughs> name um what did ben give it on the take here uh don't be a dick. Consider how other people feel. That's a two. Yeah, I give it a two. 
So he took the cynical route. He's at two on execution also. They're exploring another useless science thing. Of course, it messes with their ship's systems. Yeah, if only they could just go home. Holodeck sentience. Oh, okay. So we'll get to this in the execution for me. Uh, and then he says they referenced the Leah Brahms episode. They do not. They referenced the uh, Moriarty. Moriarty episode. Yeah, Moriarty episodes. Uh, God damn it. There's two oh, unless of them. He, unless he doesn't mean that the characters reference it. Unless he means that the whole show is a reference to it. I don't know. But then you also have to consider Minuet. Yeah. Uh, give me that execution score. I was a two as well. I'm not even going to get into the premise. Uh, this episode sucked. A lot of hollow nonsense. Harry Kim. Vorik. Am I a human person? <laughs> Don't just laugh. Answer the fucking question. Am I a human <laughs> man with rights? Yes. Why do I have to do this? Why am I doing this? Why do I have to sit through... 40% of this episode was about a luau. Buddy, the only reason I didn't uh, propose quitting again this week is because I thought it would be cliche. <laughs> to keep saying it. Yeah, over just and over, and over and over again. God, um, boy, <sighs> Voyager. Hmm. You know, we talked offline earlier about how we're 12 episodes away from 7 of 9, and how that's when everybody says the show got better. And they better fucking be right. I'm ready for it. I need it. Because... I can't keep doing this. This is a real... This is a problem. They thought I wanted to hear about the Luau so much. They thought I wanted to know about Harry Kim's weird emotions so much. They could not be more wrong. It's a two. By the way, he's he's at the luau for ninety seconds. Yep. He goes there. He sees her talking to Tuvok. Doesn't think anything of it at the time. Just leaves. Yeah. There's but there's so much other luau stuff that happens. Oh yes. There's a lot. We meet everyone. We we the Janeway's there. The fucking doctors there. Fucking everybody. Janeway's there with Chicote. Well, we'll get into it. Anyway, what did you think? What? How did this one do? Well, you have four. Oh, look at that. Um, this is probably the only attempt that I've seen that explains how Vulcans establish emotional control. Okay. And I didn't, I didn't think it was awful. Like, first they analyze the fucking thing to death, then they realize they're acting mad corny and like a sitcom character, and then they go calm down. (laughs) That's true. And it's better than what we usually get, which is, A, they meditate, but that's not helpful. Yeah. Or B, they just suppress it. They just fucking man up. It's true. It was very analytical, the approach that yes. he took. And usually when Voyager makes an attempt to explain how something works, they slip on some poop and then <laughs> fall in the poop. Right. And they're in the poop for a while. And then they've got a real poopy pants and a poopy shoe, and they kind of hop around. Yeah, they think they got it all, like, change pants, but there's poop on the bottom of their shirt for the rest exactly. of the day. <laughs> That's right. They just can't get clean. No. Uh, I did not love watching Sulky Harry Kim mm. or Horny Schmullis. No, thanks. Fun note, he directed this episode. That's why he's not in it. Well, at least there was that. Uh, and then, But my main problem with this episode is that this is an episode that relies on people not noticing something is odd for a long time. As usual. <laughs> Neelix doesn't really remember programming this lady. Yeah. Though he is the kind of... Um, obsessive person who definitely would yeah he'd know all the details about what he programmed he into her spent a lot of time on this dumb program he you know he spent on those speedos and shit like so long uh 
Harry Kim and Tuvok both completely fail to pick up on the fact that if this is a holodeck program, she's binar level AI at least. Yeah. No one who witnesses any of their interactions with her thinks anything's out of the ordinary. Yep. It's very unsatisfying. And the only explanation is, if we believe Tom Paris, this shit just happens to people and everyone's like, ah, they're doing the thing. What are you going to do? Sometimes you Mm -hmm. fall for a hollow lady. So I like the uh, ones with the boobies. <laughs> that's how that's how it's I think. Hollow of, Carl? That's how I think. Future Carl? That's how I think of Tom Paris. <laughs> I like the hollow ladies with the big jugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess he is kind of a Carl from uh Hey Harry, Aquatine. let's Hey Harry, let's go down to the holodeck and check out the jugs. <laughs> um so yeah, I liked the Vulcan stuff and I hate slow thinkers. Like, I get... There's a reason that I'm always talking about Riker in Grappler Zorn's office. <laughs> I love when a character is too on the ball. It's just super on it. Also, how great is Grappler Zorn? I know we do this all the time. It was injured! We helped it! We were helping it! <laughs> you can tell by his tone of voice he doesn't believe that shit. No, he's a real He-Man villain or um, a Cobra commander from G.I. Joe or something, right? <laughs> yeah, he's probably the same guy. But, but why for Riker's saying, if there was an apple. <laughs> but uh, I hate slow thinkers, so this is going to be a four for me. Okay. Uh, ben has it. Uh, uh, we already did we that. We said two, yeah. Well, we'll just we'll check in with Ben on world building. Yeah. He gives it the standard three. Inversion Nebulae. Uh, I see. We both call it Vulcan Jenga. Uh, another holodeck love. Uh, well, I, I called it pickup sticks in mine, but that's fine. He seems to think it transforms. The Vulcan Jenga transforms whenever a Vulcan says interesting. Uh, well, I think that the first time we saw Kalto, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, it nothing happened. He just put some sticks on there. I guess he wasn't done with it, but it turns out that when when you do it good. Mm. It turns into a dodecahedron. That's cool, mm. as if by magic. That's uh, it knows how you. It knows you did it good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then he says that uh, falling in love with a holiday character is pretty common in Star Trek. I suppose that could be true. So it's a three for him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also gave it the standard three. Okay. Uh, Inversion Nebula. Hydro sailing. Uh, by the way, is that just uh, not sailing? Yeah, hydro means water. It's usually just hydro sailing is just sailing, I think. It's almost always just called sailing. It's like weird orbital Although, sailing taking over in the future, and now they call the other one hydro sailing. I don't think of people sailing in their bathing suits, but it seems like Kess was. Whatever. Oh, yeah. They just wanted to show... And the instructor. They wanted like, to show Kess in her hot two-and-a-half-year-old body or whatever in her bathing suit. I get it. Like, I get it, but you'd think that the hydro-sailing instructor would at least be wearing a captain's hat. <laughs> Just right. a thought. Yeah. Uh, and then all the stuff about Vulcan emotional control techniques. What did you give it for world building? I had it as a two. I could have seen it as a one. Um, inversion Nebula, never been seen in the Alpha Quadrant, usually too unstable to last beyond a few years. What about uh, a thing I didn't mention, a race that loves looking at a nebula so much that it's someone's full-time job and life to keep that nebula fucking there right now keep it there just like that um sean halak 
Vulcan term for love at first sight. There were a bunch of Vulcan terms. I stopped writing them down. Um, uh, so it's the engulfment. Yes. Harry's quarters are on deck three. Moriarty continuity. That's all I had. Yeah. So two for me. I'll give it to you. To two. Um, characterization. <sighs> Janeway is very emotional about this nebula. Uh, Harry K loves a hollow lady. He's also hapless in general. Neelix is organizing a luau. You know, I think the show could stand to have a little bit more of the aughts in it. <laughs> just you'd, you'd love for there to be some terrorists. Or just something? maybe to spend less time on this fucking luau that I had to keep hearing about. Here's um, the weird thing: Neelix is organizing a luau, and everyone's fucking psyched about it. I mean, I know there's not a lot to do out there, but they got hollow programs. Why is a luau more exciting than whatever else is happening in this hollow program? Isn't this one big resort? Like, who cares? I mean, if I had heard one character, let's say Bobo Scott Thompson, okay. saying. <laughs> I mean, I do kind of want to see Neelix's version of a luau. You know it's going to be crazy. It's going to be wild. Everyone's going to have fucking weird hairy feet. Um, I bet he's. I bet he puts a hula skirt on the pig. I bet you anything. <laughs> it's more festive. Uh, uh, let's see. Tuvok is the love doctor on this ship. But uh-oh, now he's in love with Harry's fake girl. But it's because of his weird own loneliness or whatever. Um, yeah, you know, it was not clear to me that he ever got all the way to being in love with her. He sought her out for games of Vulcan Jenga. That's as horny as a Vulcan gets, right? I mean, unless it's Ponfar. I mean, unless it's Ponfar. <laughs> unless it's the Ponfar. Which, Come on. as we know... Or what's going on with Vorik? Which, as we know from this episode, means th- the bonering. <laughs> Ponfar. That's the Vulcan term for it. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Paris thinks Bellana looks smashing because he's seen all the Austin Powers films. <laughs> oh man, I wish he'd said behave. <laughs> also, he says we've all fallen in love with the holiday character, and I don't think he likes getting shown up by Vorik. Oh boy, I hated everything. I gave it a two. I hated everyone in it. I hate them. These are my least favorite people. Uh, well, I I mean I went one better. I gave it a three. Okay. Uh, which means on, in aggregate, I like this episode. Well, it looks like four points better than you did. Yeah, it's but, not so bad. Uh, sulky butthurt Kim isn't a good look, but it feels true to his character. Like, yeah, I don't think he'd be good at handling this. I agree. He has not been. He's not proven to be resilient in any way. But there is no attempt given to explain why intellectually starved Tuvok. Isn't friends with Vorik? <laughs> like, I know, it's that thing where there's two of them on the ship, and they're both like, what, just because there's two Vulcans, we gotta be best friends? No, no, look, I get it. <laughs> like, this is this is racism, for sure, <laughs> yeah. but... But you're right, they don't talk about it. But it's like, Vorik... There's no reason that, that he couldn't be playing Vulcan chess with him. And they don't attempt to even say it, and then have him say, yeah, I don't like him. Like, what do you want? Tuvok's. He's outside of Tuvok's chain of command. They have basically the same rank. It seems like they could just... Like, if if Tuvok badly needs a friend... Yeah. It seems like Harry Kim is a bad choice. Yes. And what about poor fucking Vorik? Yeah, it's kind of like... How hey, come there's no scene where he goes... Ah, oh, yeah, but Vorik's one of those L.A. Vulcans. I, I mean, it's something, right? <laughs> this and, is something I've learned about Persians. <laughs> 
where Marjan, <laughs> they have where Marjan will Persian? sometimes be like, it's one of those L.A. Persians, though. <laughs> you go, oh. <laughs> um, oh, and everyone else sets this episode out, so yeah. it's just those two guys. Uh, I, yeah, I gave it three. Yeah, uh, Ben gave it a four. He says Harry's pathetic. It's not tragic like when Jordy fell for Leah Brahms. Was that tragic? It's not clear that this is anything. Well, we'll see. Than... We'll see when we get to that one. I mean, that scene is tragic. There is a scene that will come up that is tragic about that. That's uh, Galaxy's Child. Yep. There is a scene that makes my stomach hurt. Um, uh, it's it's so bad. It's so bad what happens to him. Finally, somebody else puts in the notes that TP is pretty clearly balding. Yeah, it's true. I mean, he has been since, like, episode one, his hairline's fine. And then it's like they took a shooting break between the pilot and episode two. And when he comes back, he's just like, where all your hair go on vacation? Did you leave I your hair some- on vacation? I went to the Indonesia and I took some weird yeah. pills and I just lost all my hair. I don't know. They regret that decision immediately. You could tell they're like, oh, the fucking guy who's supposed to be like the handsome ladies man lost all his hair. I didn't even get high. Uh, the doctor can mack on chicks. Vorex loosening up with his Hawaiian shirt. Uh, mm. Now, now Tuvok and Harry have real beef, but of course they resolve it right away. Okay. And his only quick hitter is they made the lady pretty pathetic too. Yeah. But um, I forget whose turn it is. is. It Maybe mine? I have some I don't quick know. hitters. I don't remember. Go for it. You go first. I don't it know. might be me. It could be. Uh, Neelix was the sumac. <laughs> the little jar of, I assume, rust flakes on the table at a Persian restaurant. They <laughs> taste like rust flakes to me. I don't know. Ouch. Does playing Kalto use up two Vox replicator rations? Oh, yeah. Whatever happened to those? I mean, it's like that shit seems to be materializing and dematerializing shit all the time. And it seems like it has physical form. Is it a so. self-contained unit that isn't, that doesn't link into the rest of the hollow? Not hollow. Uh, I guess I, it's very efficient. If so. Yeah. I, mean, I guess he could be ch- plugging it in at night to charge. We you know, don't know, Wesley would already turn that into a backup replicator of some kind. I mean, probably right. <laughs> hey, I've turned the Calto game. It, it now makes phasers. We might need phasers. <laughs> That's right. I uh, feel like they're starting to push Paris and Torres, and I don't like it. Oh, they're definitely slow burning that fucker. Yeah. Uh, Janeway going to the Luau with Chicote. People have to be noticing this by now, right? Good thing is they're number one and two on this ship, and they can fuck on the oh, bridge that's if true. they want. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares what number three, which I guess is Tuvok, has to say about <laughs> it? It's right. not clear who it should be, actually. Tuvok got demoted. It might be Torres now. I'm not sure. He got demoted, and every time he takes over, everyone hates him so much. It frankly always seems to be Harry Kim left in charge whenever they're gone, so well, that's true. wild. I mean, I guess Tom Paris is a criminal, but like... <laughs> Their choices suck. He probably didn't pass his background check, so he's not allowed to take the con, but still. Uh, uh, Vorik again. Uh, I thought it was a nice touch that it was going to take six weeks to simulate this dampening field instead of the normal six hours. Yep. I give best actor to Tuvox Erotic Dictionary mm. and worst actor to Jealous Harry Kim. You're not wrong. Uh, let's see. It only took a few minutes to get to that hollow program we all hate. I don't really want to uh, judge. Look, they fucking built that set and they're going to use it. Apparently for the whole season. I don't really want to judge, but it looks like Harry K is in love with like a 45 year old hollow lady. I'm just saying. Um, I don't think he's doing yeah, it right. Yeah, well, he's got some displaced shit, probably. My guess... 
My guess is that he immediately latched onto Janeway. Oh, yeah, he did. When they got here, when they got to the Delta Quadrant. But Janeway uh, obviously has other priorities. Oh, yeah, she abandoned also him. she's the captain. Yeah. So he, I think this is some, maybe there's some displaced nonsense going on here. I'm just saying, I don't think he's doing it right. I think that no one is no one is emotionally immature enough for Harry Kim except for Cass, and she has been <laughs> otherwise engaged. That's right. Okay, Tuvok seems to think he can zap this sentient computer program or whatever their theory is at that point with a phaser. Yep he he has them all arm he, up. He, he yeah he goes in there armed for sure. <laughs> it's like you're gonna you're gonna shoot it. I think it's gonna be okay. In the holodeck. Like, mm-hmm. not even... Well, we can always shoot the mobile emitter that we only have one of. No, going into the holodeck with a phaser. Yeah, I don't really know what that was. I um, guess, though, it seemed like they had already prearranged a plan. I don't know how they did this out of sight of the computer, because she's in the computer. Right. Uh, they had already prearranged a plan that as soon as they isolated her shit, he was going to beam over there. Because when he calls up to the bridge, he doesn't tell them, like, hey, I've got an idea. He just says, beam me over. Yeah. Um, I was so delighted... By the Zoom close-up of Chakotay, as he very seriously says the line, She's been using the Morena character like a puppet! Yep. <laughs> I just, I laughed to myself and then I went, Poor Beltran. Poor, poor fucking guy. We know he doesn't want to do this show. And these are the lines, these are the sick-ass lines they're giving him to shout into the camera. <laughs> She's been using the Morena character like a puppet. Let's keep an eye on it. Let's see if they're if they've figured out that he hates the show and they're doing it intentionally to punish him. <laughs> yeah, just fucking with him. Oh, you're gonna ride out the seven years? It's gonna be a hell of a ride, he buddy. He hates the show, buddy. Do he won't quit? He wants that paycheck. So <laughs> it's gonna be a hell of a fucking ride. Here's a sweet Enjoy. line for you. <laughs> Next week he's getting all lines about the dilithium matrix. Enjoy. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's all I had. Not a good well, one. Uh, no, no, it was not. Sorry, we got two more. One of these has got to be good, right? Well, we'll see if this next <laughs> one is. Uh, second place last week was a pretty good episode of DS9 that just didn't win. Yeah. So maybe they're on a roll. This week we watched Fascination. They're not on a roll. <laughs> I'm not even going to play the rest of the thing. Good, don't. All right. Cisco comforts Jake, sort of, in their quarters because Jake broke up with Marta, the way too old for him Dabo girl. Yeah, she got into college, a thing he obviously didn't think about No, prior to this. He probably taught her how to read, too. <laughs> well. Joke's on him. Uh, Bashir lectures O'Brien about his relationship with Keiko. Odo chats up Kira at the temple, and all on the eve of the Bajoran Gratitude Festival. Peltor Joy, Matt. Peltor Joy. Right? Is it just Pelor? Pel- Peltor... <laughs> Pel- Peltor, Peltor Joy. Peltor Joy, Matt. Uh, Kira tells Oda that Boreal will be there, too, so that's fucking awesome. Um, Boreal gets off on the same shuttle as Keiko, also on board with ominous music, Luoxana Troy, in the latest TNG crossover, Credits. Yeah. I'm going to break this up into each character's plot line. We do a whole lot of jumping around. Hey, that's a, that's a good idea. This one moves around a little <clears throat> bit, huh? Loxana makes a beeline for Odo's office because, dear God, this is the second time she's been on this show. Yep. She's still way into him. She, uh... By the way, my uh, my headcanon for this is that in between the last one and now, she's done a little tour of other men who don't want her. <laughs> she's back for more. And she's it's Odo's turn again. It's good. 
Uh, she uh, chats him up in the security office, tells him he's never going to be alone again. How rude is it that no one has mentioned that she's in the phase? Yeah. It makes it seem like she's just an insane person. She definitely acts fucking off her rocker in this episode. Like, there, if there was one minute here where Odo was like, I did some, I did some research. It turns out Bajor, uh, Betazoid menopause really sucks. It just sucks. It sucks the most, and this woman sucks when she's not on it. That's right. This lady always sucked. It turns out. I talked to your daughter, and she says you're old and horny. Uh. Anyway, she tells Odo he's never gonna be alone again, which is very creepy. Um. She uh, heads to the turbo lift after her visit with Odo and feels a dizziness, which indicates something weird is happening here. Don't worry, no one will notice until minute 41. <laughs> you were so angry you were tracking it. I could not believe it. There was one minute and 30 seconds left. Yeah. When Cisco looked over and saw her dizziness transfer to Quark. Mm, Kira and Barile go to Sexy Town. Barile makes some remarks about not liking how much time Jadzia and Kira spend together. Oh, no, no. Uh, by the way, you could be uh, forgiven for believing it. They did not go to Sexy Town. Oh, so, well, they're laying there. He's real disappointed they're, when she leaves. They're laying there and she's got her casual pixie cut on. Yeah, it turns out that's just her festival clothes. I thought the same thing. <clears throat> yeah. It's re- it's re- he's pissed off that they have not done the sexiness. I'm a monk, he should say. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, she's... She, uh, she's got to get going because she's got to set up the festival with uh, Jadzia or whatever, but she'll catch him later for sexy times. Um, Kira kicks off the festival. Again, I'm going to do her plot line here for a while. Uh, then everybody starts acting hella gross. Barile starts chasing after Jadzia so he can smash those spots. Kira finds him later and tries to get sexy with him, but he likes Jadzia now more than a friend. Yep. Kira runs into Bashir, Odo, and Luoxana and says she won't go to Cisco's party because Barile's a turd now. <laughs> this convinces Bashir to go take a deeper look at Dax's results that he was looking at earlier, which I'll get to. By the way, this there's an it's a kind of an interesting parallel. Um, at the beginning, when Cisco talks Jake into going to this thing, he literally says the line, I'll, "Okay, I'll go, but I'm not gonna have any fun. <laughs> I won't have any fun." And Kira, at this moment, is at exactly the same place. And it's kind of lovely, because although she is much older than him, she was just doing resistance stuff until, like, two years ago. Yeah, she may not be emotionally well-adjusted. Burrell might be her first real relationship. It is possible. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, Bashir had done a scan on Dax earlier, which I'll get into later um but this convinces him to go take a deeper look at dax's results because everything everyone's being so crazy but whoops he and kira start doing a makeout. yeah odo goes down to the infirmary and walks in on them and does a shouty voice which convinces bashir to like go to go hang out with cisco again because cisco needs to see him uh o'brien and keiko are already fighting as usual uh as soon as she gets off that shuttle they eventually decide to go to the festival where Keiko tells O'Brien that her survey project has taken longer than they thought, so she'll be off the station for another two to three months. He gets all pissy, and then she mentions Z- Zabar. His name was Zanzibar. Uh, uh-huh. Some shit dick who's trying to interfere with Keiko sexually, I imagine. <laughs> O'Brien tells her to quit the survey and then gets shouty and <laughs> tells her to leave. Tells her to get away, go away. Quark comes by to give him some advice, Ferengi style, about how it's his fault for letting her wear clothes and stuff. Yep. 
O'Brien decides to go track Keiko down, and he finds her at home with Molly. He tries to apologize through a locked bedroom door. Tells her he's resigning, so he'll just go with her to the survey. Yep. She blows uh, him the, off. O'Brien still has no conception of how a healthy adult relationship should work, so he comes to her with a grand gesture. Yes, he has left his resignation letter on Cisco's desk or whatever. Or imagine it's electronic. Um. Anyway, she blows him off and tells him to go to Cisco's party. Uh, it's it's electronic, but for, don't forget this is DS Nine. It's probably just on a pad, so it's still a document. <laughs> he drops it's it down just there. That it's on a physical machine. He physically went down there and dropped the pad on his desk. He's sulking at the party when Keiko shows up in that dress that makes him horny. Uh, the special red dress she didn't want to wear earlier because it's tight. Yeah, they make up for some reason. Uh, but then Quark. By gets the way, horny how disappointing Keiko. was that dress? That's the dress he's horny about. I was only. The only reason it was satisfactory is because I was not terribly interested in seeing her in a in an actually sexy dress. I get it. You don't think Keiko's pretty. That's fine. I don't want to. That's not the. Get that's not there. the issue here. But like, <laughs> it's true. He was. I don't know. He was talking up this red dress. Uh, Troy put on a blue dress in another episode this week for a man she doesn't even like, and it's kind of it kind of had the same matching tights color motif that uh, Keiko's outfit here has. Yep. Maybe that's just what's sexy in the future. Um, that and underboob. Uh, then Quark gets horny for Keiko. All right, on to the Jake line. Jake gets all dizzy at the party and then giddy after Kira kicks off the fest. Or not at the party, at the festival. Right after Kira kicks off the whole shindig. He goes to see Kira and he tells her he's got 50 boners for her. <laughs> Cisco tries to pull him aside and tell him he's crazy, but he won't listen. Hey, what part made you more uncomfortable? When he says, I'm in love with you? Or when immediately after that he says, Narice? Narice. Yeah, Narice <laughs> was the worst for some reason. I didn't he says, like it. I'm in love with you, Narice. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Don't, 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 Ooh. don't. Ooh, I did not like when you used her name. I don't think she liked it either. Uh, at the party later, he is a crazed sex animal for Kira, darting his head around like a weirdo and, you know, acting. <laughs> yep. Um... Judzia and Cisco are setting up in his quarters for the dinner he's hosting. When she tells Cisco, Barile's all over her and she doesn't know how to tell Kira. Then uh, she says she wants to fuck Cisco big time and he's sure he's being <laughs> pranked. And does that weird out of breath thing that he always does when he's acting. But she's very serious about going to the bone zone. So he calls Bashir. And Bashir says she seems fine. And Jadzia convinces Bashir it was a joke, but nah, no, she loves loves Cisco now, loves him as a man. Yeah, but he goes for this joke thing just to keep the fucking plot rolling for another twenty minutes. Yeah, I was gonna say Cisco knows before minute forty one, but he can't convince anyone that it's a thing. Uh, no, I think he doesn't know. I'm not sure he knows, frankly. Then why is he walking all over doing his out of breath thing? Sorry, because. Uh, he is discovering that he's horny for her back. He just hasn't had the dizziness yet, so he's not going to act on it. Oh, God. At the party, everyone's mad horny and not in a cool way. Barile's all over Judzia, who's all over Cisco. Barile's trying to marry Dax now. Yeah, uh, this party is... By the way, this party is worse than that luau. (laughs) Yes, this is a worse party. I'm going to a bed party. It's the worst party that's ever been. (laughs) Yep. Uh, He even decides to start swinging on Cisco, but Dax beats him up. Finally, they somehow put it together. that ev- Only Cisco. Don't worry. Only Cisco does. That every time Troy has a headache, it means horny times are nigh. She's got Bandai Syndrome. I mean, Bantha Fever. What's it called? Uh, hold on. 
Is it Bantha? Xanthi Fever. Ah, it's close. It's very close. It's Sarek. This episode is Sarek. Her emotions are leaking all over everybody and making them horny. It's Sarek, but worse. Oh, a hundred times worse. In Sarek, they're very suspicious about Sarek from about five minutes in. Oh, the instant they, they're in that concert and one tear rolls down his cheek and they're like, oh, the, everything is wrong. Uh, no, they think it's weird when Picard tries to invite him to the concert and all of his aides are like, no, 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 He no, wouldn't no, like no. music. It's, no, 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 no. Uh... Bedtime. It's bedtime for him. <laughs> bedtime for Sarek. <laughs> Maybe he's just being overprotective. Um... The doctor makes it very clear, though, that it only enhances latent feelings people already have for other people. So, fuck So, us. this is all canon. Fuck, it's all canon. Fuck everybody. Tr- uh, Troy parts with Odo and heads Don't off. Don't call her Troy, please. Sorry, Loxana <laughs> parts with Odo and heads off into the sex cosmos. I can't do that. It's like that's why I never call Wesley Crusher Crusher. That's a good point. Uh, Keiko fucks back off to her dumb survey, I guess. I don't know. That was it. Yep. There was a one, the whole thing was one party, or one festival and a party where everyone was horny for each other, but not in the right way. Uh, I mean, you left out the part where O'Brien and Keiko do sex talk right in front of Molly while she's (sighs) looking right up into their faces and absorbing it like a sponge. Yeah, there's a reason I left it out. (laughs) No one should talk about it. Where she's like, yeah, you really gave it to me so good last night. Oh, I, yeah, you, I was paying attention. I still I still really enjoy you pushing that Irish body that against me. fucking potato dick did me good. <laughs> this was so good. I'm I'm still, I'm extremely sad. Hey, Molly. <laughs> Hi, honey. Hey, I'm yeah. just telling Go daddy hungry? he's good at sex. Go have a juice box, okay? Okay. All right. Yeah, that f- jizzed all over me. It was fucking amazing. <laughs> anyway, I didn't shower. I want to smell like you all the way down there. <laughs> I'm going to let Sabar smell me. You like that, That's right, you? Molly. Sabar's going to smell it on me. <laughs> Star Tracks. Um, now, uh, you chose an interesting way to to summarize just, this I would have been going, and, then Jadzia did this, and then Kira and, does yeah. this. I don't know if there's a better way, but I think when you do it that way, it hides how slow everyone's thinking in this fucking thing. Yeah. Like the moment, so there's a moment where Cisco goes to talk to Jake, and clearly he's talked to somebody, maybe Kira, about what happened. I think it's he Kira. knows. I think Kira went straight to him. And went, I, it's probably hey, Kira went right to him. Control your fucking son. And he goes to talk to him, and he's just like, Jake, it's just a, it's just a rebound. It's just a rebound, buddy. Yeah, this ain't nothing. Instead of, I'm sorry. Since when have you been in love with Major Kira? <laughs> yeah. The angry woman? Yeah, the angry Mainly woman. known for her anger? With the, with the haircut. Okay. Buddy, you really have a type, huh? It's only Bajorans. That's right. Only Bajorans. Yeah, he's got that fucking ridge fever. I don't know what they call it. Oh, the Cardassians do have a racist term for it, don't they? Oh, God, probably. <sighs> Does anyone have spoon fever? Oh, it could Is be. Is it Cisco? Because of the way that uh, Rachel Garrett... Cardassian and he were getting along last week. By the way, I'm like I'm like 30 pages into my fanfic that I'm writing about this. <laughs> it's getting really fucking good. It's a slow build, so you gotta have patience. But it's fucking right. good. Yeah, if you just yeah, that's fine. Let's leave it there. <laughs> I don't want to engage. Um, <laughs> but like at and then later, Jadzi is like, yeah, Vedic Barile's all over me, and Cisco's like, he shouldn't be doing that. It's like that rebound thing Jake's doing with Kira. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> He's trying so hard to give sensible advice. 
Quark walks into a party yeah. where uh, it's a full-on farce now. Oh, yes. very. And he's so. just like, you throw a wild party. Fuck you, Quark. <laughs> figure it out. Quark's not paying any attention. Somebody figure it out. Yeah. 41 minutes. You're not wrong. Just tell me what this is about. What's it about? Normally, having a subconscious attraction to someone is not a big deal. But it is if there's an aging Betazoid around, so be careful. Ah, I I, see. (laughs) I genuinely don't think this episode was a metaphor for anything. Yeah, I agree. Like, the way the Naked Now is kind of an in vino veritas. Mm. Do you know what I mean? This is not. Yeah. In wine we trust. It's also not interesting character-wise. Like, in um, the Lissy and Central Command episode, I never remember the name of that Conundrum. Conundrum. It's a very regular, it's a perfectly cromulent word. As, as a, it is a perfectly cromulent word. Where there, it turns out that only Riker's knowledge of Rose's personality, or maybe uh, her military past, okay. is, has prevented them from just, just fucking nonstop. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, that's a thing Troy says in the end with uh, some... some, Oh, she's a dig. dig Some assurance that I do not believe is earned, but yes. Yeah. But, like, at least there's a reading there. And that's interesting character-wise, because Riker doesn't like her. Yeah. You know what I mean? Immediately. As soon as she gets on the ship the first time, hates her guts. He yells at her about her earring right away, as though... I mean, Troy's been on the bridge in a unitard for the last eight years or whatever. Worf's been wearing that big old sash. Worf wears a huge metal sash. Covers up the whole uniform. (laughs) (laughs) And as soon as she comes on board, he goes, Hey! You get that earring out of here right now, you bitch! For a year, he looked at the part on Wesley's left shoulder (laughs) where the blue and red stripe cross and and thought, someone put time into that for this uniform. It's a very intricate design. But... But he's mad about this earring. Yes. Um, so, again, I gave it a one. This is a one. Oh, okay, good. I, I don't think there's a real take, so the cynical take stands, and it's not good. Yeah, this was the standard weird shit in space from Ben, which is a three for him. He's giving them a pass and giving them three because they've been doing a good job consistently for a while, he says. So they can have like a, a little fun filler. Um, that's way more positive than we are about this. Uh, I gave it a zero. It's a, um, it's a Sarek, but without any ideas about how we treat those who've outgrown their usefulness or whatever. Um, or like what to do with like a legend who's uh, uh, yeah. lost their shit. It's a, it's a no-take. Yeah. Sarek is about something, and there's no reason this couldn't either, right? This could be about uh, menopause or... Sure how we deal with the sexuality of our parents or whatever. Like oh, this God. could be about real world. I don't mean ours specifically. Yeah. Why are they which in I this? deal with by not thinking about why it. Why did you even bring them up then? But <laughs> I meant the collective hour. I know what you meant. Uh, but because they don't discover <laughs> until minute 41 that Loxana <laughs> Troy is causing this. Yep. And then they just say, well, it was a virus and it'll be better in two days. <laughs> it's nothing. There's nothing is addressed. Like it can't possibly be about that in any way. Yeah, it's a no take. I'm no taking it. Yeah. Yeah. I get a, it. It's a fat zero. And by the way, it's a zero on execution. <laughs> it's what do you want me to say? Mind alteration. What a great idea for a show. Hey, do actors like this? Do actors like doing this? Because this would make me quit acting, I think. All right, if I was you talked in me into it. And no they're, take. Like, they're like, make out with everybody because it's going to be funny, I guess. I'd be like, oh, is that what we're doing? This is the show now? 
Uh, by the way, they don't. The only people who make out are Kira and uh, Bashir. Siddig Alfredo, say his name. Uh, Alexander Siddig. Oh, sorry. Um, and, and Nana Visitor. Because and, uh, in real life, at, they were doing it. And at some point here, the character Major Kira is going to get pregnant, and I won't go into the details of what happens in-universe, but that is Alexander Siddig's baby in there. Yeah, and I asked in my quick hitters, does this episode exist as a whole, the whole episode, so that real-life lovers Siddig Alfredo and Nana Visitor can do kissing on screen? Well, it's weird that they're the only ones who do, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it's zero and zero for me. Well, you talked me into it. It's a no-take. Fine. It is a no-take. I mean, it's just a straight no-take. Uh, look. I hate this was my lowest scoring episode this week. Yeah. You're not talking me down that much. Yeah. Uh I will say this about execution. Okay. Uh I hated it. I hate <laughs> that it went 41 minutes before anyone noticed the problem. It was super frustrating to me. I this know. Is, like as mad as I was about Morena and no one noticing that things were weird. Yeah. People like people kept having weird headaches and then they'd fall in love with somebody mm. and everyone was like, "Ah, Fucking Deep Space Nine, what are you going to do? This festival, huh? This fucking Gratitude Festival, you know, everyone gets real horny for <laughs> what it. Happens at, what happens at the Gratitude Festival, fucking... That's, I mean, Peltor Joy, dog. what are you going to do? <laughs> Peltor Joy. Peltor Joy! Lots of weird, awkward pairings, uh, directed by Avery Brooks. Uh, this was the second episode this week directed by a cast member. How fun. Yeah. Uh... I had originally given it three points for execution, but if it's a no-take, it's a zero. I know your rules. It's the rules. I don't have that rules. rule, but in this case, it just earned a zero for me. Well. Um, uh, so Ben gave it a four. Oh. He said it's a high school level soap opera. It's got it's got the holy triumvirate of guest stars, Barile, Keiko, and Loxana. <laughs> I think he just enjoyed the part where Cisco beat up Barile. Or he held, he easily fended him off. Yeah, yes. Uh, this is the point where the bad actor who plays Vedic Barile yes tries to do some pathetic acting. I'll, I'll, I'll fight you. I'll beat you up. You better watch I'll, out. I'll fight you for. And it's like this character was interesting the first two times he appeared when he was where it was politically like, sly. Yeah, it is now does he just happen to be aligning with Cisco for political reasons, but he's really not trustworthy? Anyway, it doesn't fucking matter. No, now he's just a sex thing for uh, Kira. Yeah, he's Kira's sex thing, who we know is going to end up fridged. That's right. So that's right. <laughs> um, that's what's going to happen. Look, I'm we sorry, guys. Far from that's it. what's going to happen to Vedic Baral. He's going to get fridged. That must be soon. I think it's coming up. Yeah. You can tell that the political stuff no longer matters because in this one it's revealed that he works for Kai Wen now. Yeah, like, and he's like, she's not so bad. The prophets were wise. <laughs> he just wants uh, to get to the fucking. <laughs> he says it's a little weird that they made the bad guys in these soap operas characters that aren't likable, so they come off even less likable. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's a two on world building, by the way. Okay, Xanthi Fever and the Bajoran Gratitude <laughs> Festival. Uh. I guess I am a three. Whoa, okay. A couple of things. Okay. If you come to DS9 by shuttle, there's no kind of health screening. No, you just walk off that shit. This thing should have a virus every goddamn week. If they got Xanthi fever. <laughs> uh, another telepathic race with a mind control disease. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, of course, uh, Baral works for Kaiwin. Oh, that's true. So, yeah. I gave it the three. 
Well, I had Bajoran Gratitude Festival, Peltor Joy. Uh, Science Academy on Regulus 3, which is however many hundreds of light years away. Quarks. So a few, 300, something like that. Yeah, Quark's description of Ferengi marriage, which is just more in keeping with what we already knew. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, what Brile's up to these days, that counts. Uh, it's a two for me. Uh, we actually see kind of quite a bit about the uh, Gratitude Festival. It's By the way, weirdly for the Gratitude Festival, you seem to write down your sins on a scroll and burn it. Yeah, what are you, gra- what are you grateful for? It doesn't seem like gratitude, but that's okay. <laughs> seems, seems so different. This is a different festival. Jeltorpoi, everybody. Jeltorpoi. <laughs> Um, I did think uh, it was cool that the Bajoran music that's played at the Gratitude Festival just sounds like it belongs in Legend of Mana. <laughs> legend or um, or oh, legend specifically? Okay, All right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it could be Nicholas business. Basically, they're playing Nicholas business unusual. You're not wrong. There's I've, I sense some flute, some flute business was happening up there. Yeah, and then like a kind of a uh, some kind of. Per- uh, tonal percussion instrument like a marimba or a xylophone or something. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. Oh uh, boy, all right. Characterization: Jake is a sad boy without an adult girlfriend or underboob. Yeah. Cisco is kind of insensitive about Jake's breakup, basically telling him, "Get the fuck over it. You're a kid." Uh, for real, this is going to be tough for Jake because he's been dating a Dabo girl. Yeah, where's he going to go from here? And if he just uh, starts dating a 16-year-old classmate of his, he he's going to have some ideas, and she's not going to play along. You know what my other probably. girlfriend used to do with me? Uh, the Dabo girl? The whore? Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a whore, Jake. God, Avery Brooks loves playing dad, though, huh? Oh, yeah, it's his favorite. Did he ever? And again, did he ever... again, he directed this episode, so Yeah, he made sure to that. insert some of that in there. He's, he's playing dad the exact way he wants to play it this week. He was giving himself some notes. Did he ever play a dad in anything else? Because I might watch it. I fucking, I legit don't know. Like I said, I've never watched Spencer for Hire or anything else he's ever been <laughs> I don't in. think he was a dad in Spencer for Hire unless it was well, like a one episode deal. Maybe that's why he's so excited to be one this week. Uh, he does some clock acting in this too when Barile tries to fight him. Yeah. Seems a little crazed. Bashir is still needling O'Brien about random shit. Um, Odo's a shy freak around Kira who's... Still with wooden statue Barile. Oh, by the way, at the end of this episode, when Loxana Troy leaves, she reveals that she knows about Kira. Yeah. And tells him, you know, if you ever give up on that. I'll be a hundred. I'll be kicking around. Yeah, I, I've tried. Uh, I'm, uh, I'll be hanging out with another tall, fat scientist I met <laughs> on uh, Timison's planet. That's right. Turns out this planet is full of tall, fat scientists. It's not, it's not Timison, but I found out my type for sure. <laughs> they got to be 6'6", six, six, 300 at least. Bro, did we do that episode on this show? I have no memory of it. Nah, that. we ain't done Half a Life yet. When does that happen? That's the first Michelle Forbes episode, so that's like when? season five probably god can it be that can it be that deep into it jeez um uh where was i uh okay but odo seems like he's getting along okay with the idea of his people running the dominion he just kind of fucking brushes that shit off no i'm not them yeah loxana still caught up with odo but she may be even rapier these days um Barile doesn't approve of the friendship between Judzia and Kira, but maybe because now I know he has latent sexy feelings for her. Keiko is a tired mom, and O'Brien's a petulant husband. 
I like Quark wearing that earring and hawking random shit at the festival. Like, it's totally in keeping that Beryl the politician would be a philanderer also. Oh, hell yeah. But Beryl hasn't been... Beryl's been Beryl the uh, prophet for, like, ten appearances now. Yeah. So it's, it feels weird, but it would it would make sense if he'd stayed that way. Uh, Quark gives some Ferengi love advice to O'Brien. She should have left him for Lee Nollis. Go ahead. Well, R.I.P. <laughs> Well, it didn't have to be that way. R.I.P. Linellis. Yeah, he's the guy's fucking king. He could he could have been king of Bajor. And he he didn't want to be king. He George Washington did. Jell Portoy, everybody. Um, he was happy to take the title of Navark for some reason. <laughs> he was in, was in Navark. I remember. Fuck. Navark? Something like Navark, that. Navark, maybe. Navark. I forget. Whatever. Uh, Quark loves the sex party Cisco's throwing. Um, then everybody acted crazy, and I didn't have to worry but, about okay, characterization. Okay, hang on. Also, Quark showed up with ten individual servings of Adanian spice pudding. Yeah. Like, did he come from Quark's with all of that? And that's all he brought? <laughs> Was he doing the catering? Was he catering the party? Maybe. Was he just in another room, and he's like, ah, it's pudding time. Yeah, maybe he was in the adjoining room. <laughs> Weird, right? Yeah, because yeah, earlier he was on the promenade with his earring and everything. Um, yeah, a lot of this episode, people were crazy. I didn't have to do a lot of characterization. Would you put an earring through your dick? Oh, I guess some people do. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's just everything, Ferengi ears are so, they'd use them for everything, and it's so troubling. Well, because were, you know that they're sexual. They were clip, it was a clip-on. Um, both parts? Both parts, both parts were clip-ons. Oh, man. Uh, Come on, I think I'd put a clip on there. It was a four for me. That's right, as much as a four. <laughs> Well, before they all went crazy, they were basically the people that they're supposed to be. Uh, well, the problem is that I, they're crazy the whole episode, so I only gave it two. Okay. Uh, all the people who are themselves are too dumb to believe. <laughs> That's right. I forgot the main problem you like, had. The problem. So Cisco and O'Brien are the two <laughs> people who never get horny. Yeah. And basically in the whole cast. Yeah, O'Brien seems like he's so fucking caught up in his Keiko shit. He's just like, he doesn't even care what's happening. Yeah, well, it turns out he just never got close enough to Loxana Troy. Because that's the trigger. Oh, uh, yeah, when she has one of her headaches. She have to, you have to be close by when it happens. Yeah. Uh, and Cisco is telling Jake that Kira's just a rebound and shit. And sort of believing that Dax was playing a weird sex prank on him. Yeah. Which I guess maybe Curzon would have done that. Who knows? Curzon would have done that as Curzon. Curzon might have thought that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, and O'Brien is just uh, is just uh, too dumb to be married, O'Brien. Yeah. So it's hard to give a lot of points. It's like not the best part of his personality. No, I hate it. I hate all the stuff with him and Keiko. I'm tired yeah. of it. Um, but that's where the two points come from because only the O'Brien Keiko stuff was real. Yeah. So two. All right. Uh, Ben. Ben gave it a five on characterization. He gave it a two on world building. I didn't know if we'd mentioned that. Um, sex Dax is back, and it's still the it's, best Dax. <laughs> and I, by the way, I agree. It's and it's because she has energy. Yeah, I guess that's true. She is mostly nothing without it. Right. She's because she's trying to be enigmatic or something, or like she's constantly in every scene. She's constantly thinking, "You're seven hundred years old. <laughs> that's right. You're, you've had." You're, you're as still you're, as a tree. You're a gestalt entity composed of eight different hosts, and only one of them is the your body host. Pretty as a model, still as a tree. Uh, Pretty as a model, still as a tree. 
There's Verderon. Benjamin, there's Verderon particles. Ben. Shit. Ben. Shit. Ben- Benjamin. Benjamin. Oh, that was too much emotion. Hold on. Fuck. <laughs> I got to pull it back. Uh, Joral Dax wouldn't have said it that way. Can we fuck. do it again, guys? Can we do it again? Uh, Cisco seems pretty concerned with not letting anyone fuck while under the influence, but why not? There was a latent attraction, right? Yeah, he doesn't know that till the end. Maybe he would have just let him fuck. Yeah, but at the end, he tells uh, Bashir not to go to Kira's quarters for a couple of days. Ugh. And then, by the way, makes no effort to make sure it doesn't happen. That's true. He doesn't. Mm. Well, and then at the end, under his breath, he said, you guys are fucking in real life anyway. And he walked away. So it's I'm directing whatever. this. I can say whatever I want. Yes. Uh, quick hitters, bro. I'm sure you got some. Yeah. Uh, do you think Martha <laughs> yeah. is getting into the regular science academy? As like a need-based scholarship student, hmm. or I mean, Bajor's not in the Federation, and it doesn't seem like they would have a separate treaty with Regulus Three. So, like, <laughs> you'd think she'd be paying out of state, and yeah, she doesn't yeah. have parents. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? I wonder how like, that she Dabo only money. has her Dabo girl money. Yeah, I wonder if that's. And enough. I don't think Quark is it probably pays very much. Would be my guess. Yeah, maybe she uh, worked out that whole thing that was messed up inside of her that made her want to fuck a sixteen-year-old, and now she just had to make an excuse of why she couldn't see Jake anymore. And that's, oh, she's not really going to the science academy. Nah, she's, she's going. Like, she oh. found a guy with a motorcycle. Is what happened. So like, there was one bad makeout where his voice cracked in the middle, <laughs> and she was like, "What am I doing?" <laughs> yeah, touch me there. <laughs> uh, Keiko just sitting down in everyone's way. In the airlock. Yeah, it just sits down right on the fucking step as soon as she walks out. Uh, Be polite. But then I immediately understood because Luoxana is a lot. She made that Like, little, she's a lot. She made that kid throw up and then they gave her <laughs> the scary music. She gave that kid a bunch of candy and it's like, oh, candy will make a kid puke. Which, by the way, is that true? I don't know. They're like dogs, all right? Don't but they? then also, it's probably alien candy. Maybe it would. That's some candy from fucking Fizzal's Happy Haven or whatever. Like, she's not... She's not giving... (laughs) Hey, is that a memory beta? Is that a memory beta? (laughs) Probably. (laughs) She's not... She's not giving Molly Brax peppermints is what I was gonna say. (laughs) Uh, Scream, dude. Uh... And then I couldn't understand why Kira changed outfits, but it turns out that was just her festival outfit. Yeah, she again, she had her off-duty pixie haircut, which makes me sick. Uh, when Keiko agrees to go to the Gratitude Festival with O'Brien, you notice that she deliberately did not put on the red dress he wanted her to wear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a move that she was making. Uh, and then I wrote, I legitimately believe that Avery Brooks smells good. I don't know what it is, but he looks like he probably smells good. Yeah, why not? Seems like the type. Yeah. I gave best actor to Kira. There, This was a tough choice. Yeah, there's a lot of... I could have awarded it to nobody, Again, honestly. a lot of acting in this episode. Yeah, and uh, worst actor, definitely Horny Burrile. Did not have a handle on what that would be at all. He's, um... I hope he never had any other acting jobs, because he did not earn them. <laughs> He's not great as Vedic Burrile. No. So... You know, well, there's that. Someone told him his character is 700 years old, and he's, he's really got <laughs> He's too up in his head about it, yeah. He's got to focus on that. <laughs> uh, you must have some quick hitters. Yeah, sure. I don't enjoy the time spent on arguments between Keiko and O'Brien. I wish they would stop. Is that entertaining? Who's finding that entertaining at home? Who's like, oh, good, another juicy Keiko and O'Brien scene. 
I think that the trouble is that whether it's uh, Keiko and O'Brien or Jake and Cisco, mm. the show is not a serious attempt to talk about what it would be like to have a family life. Yeah. Except, except to show like you never see a domestic scene in which uh, Keiko and Chief O'Brien are uh, happy or just doing normal shit. Like there's never, there has never been a scene where O'Brien, like where they're in bed talking and O'Brien suddenly remembers something about the power converter. Like it's never the solution. There's never a domestic scene in which he solves the mystery. So their home life is only ever arguing. Yeah. It's horrifying. I paused at one point and I was horrified to find there were still 14 minutes left. It's (laughs) which means by the way, 12 minutes until they figured out what was happening. Yep. <laughs> I mean, this episode was hot dumps for sure. <laughs> it was a real shit. It was a real shit of an episode. I was like, no, there's no way there's 14 minutes left. They must be onto this by now. Uh, uh, no, that's it. I already mentioned everything else throughout the various <laughs> things we said. Uh, well, last week's winner was TNG. What a surprise. Look what they're up against. Yeah. <laughs> so this week we watched... The price. Ben's pick of the week. Hi, this is Ben Town, your remote Star Trek edition correspondent with my pick of the week. Pick of the week. And of course, I didn't play it in any of the others and we've been reading his notes. This must be his pick of the week. Mm-hmm. This week we watched The Price. Troy is having, this is real Troy, having one of those Kira days. Too much stress. Yeah. So she goes to her quarters and asks the computer to get her some fucking for real chocolate sundae or whatever. None of the bullshit vitamin chocolate you've been serving me. That shit tastes, I know it's fucking carob or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Probably is fucking carob, but the computer just calls it chocolate. Can't fucking fool me. This shit tastes like fucking ass. Hey, I'm from Beta Z. I know what chocolate is. Yeah, we, we, we fucking invented that shit. Uh, Picard calls and she gives an out loud, are you fucking shitting me? And she's off to have a dumb party with some delegates bidding on a big dumb wormhole who are all introduced in turn. Yep. Various aliens and a weirdo who stares at her like a perv. The lady selling this uh, wormhole off says it's the galaxy's only stable wormhole credits. The delegates are meeting in the observation lounge when Riker comes in and says some Ferengi are demanding to be allowed into the proceedings. Uh, They beam them right in there, and then those Ferengi sass Picard and Worf until they're allowed to sit down. Devanani Rall, that's that perv from before, walks into Troy's office as she finishes some cursory research on the dude, because she's already feeling it. And he touches her all over her head and face area. And negs the shit out of her, just talking about what a fucking boring fucking fake doctor she is or whatever, uh, until she's just leaking all over the damn place. Picard, Riker, a guy whose name I thought was Mendoza and then was surprised to learn his name was Mendoza, uh, and Data, talk for a bit about the wormhole and whether it's actually stable. Then it cuts to the Ferengi who are scheming as always. 
they took this old Ferengi boy's blood out and rubbed it all over his hands or something. And I guess if he shakes it with one of the delegates, it'll make him poop his pants or something, sophomoric. I don't know what they're going for. You're still here, right? Unfortunately. Okay, right. <laughs> uh, back to Troy's quarters where she gets sexed hard by this nasty perv. I'm mean, You know what? I'm not going to say anything else about that scene. Mendoza is shown becoming quite ill and going to sickbay. The Ferengi find out Picard is scanning the wormhole and sending in probes and shit, and they don't trust Starfleet to share accurate info, so they decide to do their own study. Then Picard makes Riker take over for Mendoza because he is, uh, he's busy being the host, so he can't do it, but probably because he doesn't want to. Yeah. I have been mostly letting you get through this one. Mm-hmm. Because I hate it. <laughs> what surprised me, one of the things that surprised me on this walkthrough, on this watch rather, was Riker's like, I I don't know, man, I'm not qualified to do this. And Ooh. Picard's like, well, fuck it. <laughs> Too bad you're in it now, space negotiator Riker. I mean, Picard does not care about this fucking wormhole thing at all. This no. is not, despite the fact that he you... will look at impossible orbits or do Fermat's last theorem, <laughs> this one, not gripping him. Right, you'll fu- uh, we'll talk about it why I have lots of theories on it. But basically, Ferengi. He is all oh, in, yeah. he's hosting this thing, and he's all in, and then the Ferengi show up, and he immediately walks out of the room and never comes back. He <laughs> says, true. Riker, as as he gives you got this. His chair, yeah. He's like, fuck it. He's, he literally you says. You ruined my whole thing. He literally says, Riker. Riker will handle this, and he walks out, and that's it. And the rest of the episode, Riker's just doing this shit. Um, all right. Uh, so Picard makes Riker take over. Uh, the two survey teams are entering the wormhole. They're going to go in now and see what's on the other side, I guess. And back on Enterprise, uh, Devanani Rawl flaps his boys at Riker and says that Starfleet is a bunch of warmongers. His clients, <laughs> the Chrysalians, are peace-loving scientists or whatever. Yeah, their names all mean surrenderer. <laughs> Back to Poundtown and Nasty Footperv Station. Troy says she can't really read this boy, and he mentions he mentions sensing something about her and Riker. Troy is dumb and has not put two and two together that he's an empath at this point. So he gets sick of playing with her and just tells her straight up he's a quarter betazoid. By the way, he does give her an opportunity to get there on her own. Yeah, he really does, and then I think he's mad that she doesn't get there. But she reveals, uh, I think that her response to that is something very interesting, because when he talks about Commander Riker, she says to him, who have you been talking to? (laughs) Which means that, once again, people are talking. That's right. Talking about people or whatever. Talking Um, about people. uh, Back to the survey. God, these two survey teams come out of the wormhole on the other side and whoops, they're in the wrong quadrant. This side of the wormhole moves around, I guess. So it's not so very good as a wormhole. As a stable one. They are, Matt. They are 200 light years from where they're supposed to be. <laughs> in the different quadrant. All the way in the Delta quadrant. Turns out this that thing... fucking shit was on the yes, border. It's exactly the note I have. This thing was aimed right at the border between those two quadrants. Because that's not very far. It's not not in, in terms of... Well, and they also say they're 70,000 light years from the Enterprise. Yep. So... Uh, Mostly, mostly a straight I'm shot. I'm on that Ferengi doctor's side. Yes, because mostly like, a straight shot. It, it's by the way, we're basically where we're supposed to be, and the Barzans don't even really have technology, so they probably just missed it. Like they probably just kind of got the coordinates wrong or something. Yeah, like this is pretty close to where we're supposed to be. 
Troy and Crusher have a yoga chat. I won't say anything more about that. The Caldonians are convinced to leave the negotiations and throw their weight behind the Chrysalian bid because this Devonani Rawl guy is... I don't know, I guess we're supposed to believe using people's emotions against them, but he makes a lot of good points in this episode about how that's what negotiation is. <laughs> he um, really does. Jordy tries to convince the Ferengi team that the wormhole sucks and they have to leave. Uh, the Ferengi think it's a trick and they refuse, so Jordy and Dana leave without them. The wormhole says, yoink, and the Ferengi are left scratching their dicks on the other side of the wormhole. We know what happens to him eventually. Unfortunately, we've already done that episode in Voyager. They end up in False Prophets. Uh, Troy and Devonani Rawl talk a lot about Riker and how unethical it is to use empathic powers to win at business. Then Rawl and Riker measure dick shapes. That's how it works, right? Shapes? <laughs> shapes. And Devonani Rawl off-screen works out a deal with the Ferengi to outmaneuver Starfleet. They start to shoot at the wormhole, and Riker's called away, and Devonani Rawl concludes an agreement with the Barzons in his absence. Troy, Which, no matter what he said before, that part's unethical. Yes. <laughs> Troy blows up uh, Devonani Rawl's spot on the bridge and basically admits they've been fucking to everybody. Jordy and Data show up and tell everyone the wormhole's a dud, so Devonani Rawl bought nothing in the end. Uh, he has a dumb goodbye with Troy, and this episode is over. But, God, not soon enough. Yep. <sighs> well, what was it? Uh... This one's, uh, it's a little troubling. Uh, in the end, what I wrote was, in a universe where everyone has different natural talents, using them probably isn't unethical, but that doesn't mean anything goes. But this one's wishy-washy. It's just wishy-washy. Yeah, it's a complex take. Because, unfortunately, Troy is wrong, yeah. and Devin Rawl is right. Yep, I know, it's unfortunate because the writers don't know. <laughs> he is not reading people's minds or cheating or using secret information. He doesn't have spies and he doesn't have anything that isn't like, hasn't been agreed to. Yeah. He is just a little bit better at figuring out what aspects of people's bids and proposals other people do or don't like. Yeah. He's just a little better at it than, than other people, but it's clearly He's, and it's not enough to overcome, for instance, the natural advantage that the Federation has over his clients. Right. Uh, and that's not considered unethical, right? Yeah. So the the problem is that, uh, and it, like I said, with those Ferengis who, they're dumb. We know that they're dumb and wrong because the guy telling them to do something was Jordy and he's on our team. Yes, exactly. And we know that Devanani Rawl is dumb and wrong. Because the guy say, the person saying that is Troy and she's on our team. Yep. But unfortunately, that's really all they've got going for them. Yeah, the writers are... Um, well, they're not good enough to write it better. They're not good yeah. enough to write it in a way where it actually makes sense to say that he's doing something wrong or whatever. So I had written the number four, but I am giving it a two. Okay. Uh, I have Cheaters Never Prosper. Oh, boy, yeah, I guess that's what this one is, huh? I mean, look, Rawl cheats, I guess, a little bit in the end when he does. He has his little deal worked out with the Ferengi to attack the wormhole or whatever. Uh, but he buys a worthless wormhole, so that's what you get when you cheat or whatever. I, and, by, by, and by the way, you know who really doesn't prosper? The Barzans. <laughs> yeah, they got fucked. Prem Premier Bavani doesn't prosper. Who's <laughs> been telling us the whole time about our planet has nothing and they really need this right now. It's really important. We've uh, got, we really need it. 
we've been living at the mercy of others for thir- for 300 years and our time's about to come so eating, I have to make sure we get the best deal for this wormhole oh god I'm eating, so stressed out we've been eating out. rocks and sand but you know what it's like to poop it out at the end it's so bad our, our planet's so terrible that we can't even invite you there for the conference because you die you so know, that's why I have to wear these two poker chips on my face and why we have to do this on the Enterprise <laughs> even though that's weird because they're bidding you know of Scranton Ooh. you've heard of Scranton this is worse it's, it's worse, worse than, than Scranton um yeah so you're right she gets fucked the most um yeah I also experimented with things aren't always as they seem again or things are too good to be true the wormhole Devon on Eral etc um but no cheaters never prosper I think and that's straight down the line five that's nothing all right it's whatever okay whatever uh, Ben's a six, Ooh. Uh, but his six is decisions have consequences. Ah, the basic one. Uh, Rawl decides to be a sleazebag and eventually gets his come up. I don't think he decides to be a sleazebag. <laughs> yeah. I think he's sleazy. He's, he's sleazy, yeah. He did it in the sleazy uh, way. Troy, he, did you talk about the fact that when Troy meets him, he's got a girlfriend yep. and then he fucking sends her away? Yeah, and she's like, and what happened to your girlfriend? And he's like, who gives he's a like, shit? I don't need her anymore. Who gives a shit? I got you now. Fuck me right now. Yeah. Troy ignores her better instincts and gets involved with Rawl, which leads to an ethical quandary, I guess. Sort of. Uh, the Ferengi choose to be obstinate and are stuck 70,000 light years away. If you think this is an episode about actions and their consequences, yeah. you're going to fucking love the defector. You're going to love it <laughs> yeah, in two Yeah, get weeks. ready. Get ready, uh, everybody. Picard might say something about it and whether yeah. the bitter yeah. taste of yeah. it is unpalatable. Yeah. yeah, you've made your choices, sir. I'm excited. Then I am truly sorry. I'm excited, except I know next week is the Vengeance Factor, and so I'm less uh, excited, but... Uh, I mean, the Vengeance Factor's fucking wild. Oh, no, we'll have lots to say. I just, will it be good? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yet to be determined where in the order we get to talk about it, but it is wild. <laughs> uh, he gives it a four also for execution, saying, mm. uh, Rawl is a bit rapey. Oh, bit. Uh, he's for sure pickup artist artisty the only thing that i think makes it not rapey is how immediately and inexplicably into it troy oh yeah no she's she's a fucking she's leaking i said leaking i'm gonna stick with that she's leaking all over it's uh, it's so weird it's so bizarre quite a manipulator uh the frangi the ferengi surprise at being left behind is worth the price of admission i mean they do both have dumb shitting looks on their face when the wormhole disappears (laughs) it's true uh, the whole plot makes Troy look stupid. Extremely. Yep. I agree. Oh, this is like, I, you know, we've been trying to chart the beginning of Riker's ruin the whole time and it keeps going yeah. back and forth. Is This might be the beginning of Troy being uh, worthless. This, but this thing is so bad for Troy that it's wild if she doesn't have a good think about this. Yep. Like, what? What was any of that? She should immediately be thinking. Yep. And also, I should get with a nice man like Worf. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but he likes Riker's commentary about her having happiness with Rawl, et cetera. Yeah, no, it's for sure the best part of this episode is when a Devanani Rawl misplays that card with Riker. I like to imagine Picard was back there going, ha, you lose. <laughs> That's right. When he starts to talk shit to Riker. Picard hasn't been proud of Riker, uh, I guess, since the half He'll beat you I just as I have. Actually, that was actually pretty recently. I just wish he'd, you could see his head popping up from behind the bar or something. Uh, what did you give it for execution? Dose. So much to hate about this episode. The sex stuff was bad, obviously. What Troy has shown to be is worse. Yeah. 
This really shits on her. But what's worse than that? Third rail questions this episode raises and dismisses. You cannot bring these things up unless you are prepared to finally explain them. 1. Space economy of the 2360s. What is it and how does it work? Raised and dismissed. There's a lot of negotiating and natural resources talk and all kinds of stuff, and the Federation's very much involved. How does it work? Why did you bring it up, Star Trek? Yeah, and by the way, the wildest part of this is when uh, the nice scientist... Caldonian uh, guy? The Caldonian guy uh, announces that he is withdrawing. And Riker says, we'd like to enter into negotiations to buy your Trillium 323 and add it to our bid. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wait, dog, yeah. you can't make that? How does this the work? The whole Federation, you can't get some Trillium 323? Like, this is the Caldonians. I think that's one planet. Yeah. They got so much and of this they Trillium are dedicated to research, but still. Like. So that's one. Yep. Third rail. Two, the ethics of reading people's damn minds or emotions or whatever. Raised and dismissed. Right? Uh, yeah. I mean, this is a thing... Where he says right back to her, what? You do this all the time. Do you tell the Romulans that you're an empath? And it's this is what I've been asking the whole time. But they don't, it never, Troy doesn't like take a hard look at herself and go, oh yeah, is what we're doing right? She just goes, no, you're wrong. You're the one. Nah. Double up. He even intensifies it by saying, I mean, when you do this, people die sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, you do this and you blast people in the fucking cosmos. I'm trying to make a trade agreement for a wormhole. (laughs) We went in a row row boat. Oh, I wish I was Trip. Wish I was Trip rubbing her oily feet. Oh, what a weird thing to say. All right. Well, decent character work from the non-Troys, but the Ferengi are really dumb, huh? Like, really dumb? Are they smart or dumb? Because they keep showing them being dumb. Uh, so far, they appear to be very dumb. Because they talked about how they were really, really with it, but they're dumb the, as hell, right? The only clever one we've ever seen has been Bach, and he's unhinged. Boy, was he clever or was everyone dumb on that shit? He's That's like, look point. at this wonderful gift I got you because you killed my son. That's a good point. No problem, right? Here, look, I got you this. That's a good point. Picard is so excited to see his old ship that nobody asked him. <laughs> hey, you got my question. boy good. You really shot him up good. But you know what? I'm, I don't hold the, I don't hold the grudges. Here's your old ship. And look, I left you an orb. What's Maybe the orb Maybe your old possession's over. <laughs> you want that. <laughs> I'm sure you want that trunk full of different <laughs> weird shirts. Hey, I got found this trunk on here. It's got a new orb in it. Why don't you look at that real hard? <laughs> look, he was not that I'm smart. Bach. <laughs> Daemon of the Ferengi. <laughs> was he smart or were they dumb? I'm just yeah, saying, man. Dumb. The Ferengi are dumb as hell. It's a, yeah, it's a two for me. Uh, I give it as many as a three, but let's go over my reasoning and see if it stands. Okay. Because you're right, <laughs> they suck. Uh, there's this episode is peppered full of little comedy bits. I mm. uh, bring me a chair. Where's my chair? Yeah. Uh. Oh, I don't want to get stuck out here in the Delta Quadrant all alone. Well, you will have me to talk to. Mm. Uh, hey, maybe we should. I forget what Troy and what Troy and uh, Crusher even say, but then they both look at each other and go, "Nah." <sighs> but here's the thing: they don't work. No, <laughs> and they're not needed. This is not a tense episode that needs lightening up. No, this is a story about two weirdos falling in love for bad reasons, and one of them being a creep. Yep. Yes. Uh, the big problem with this episode is that it's basically impossible for any version of Deanna Troy that we could like yeah. to have fallen in love with this guy, unless she is seriously unwell. Yeah. Where is on the ball, Troy? What happened? What's the deal? But there's another problem, too, which is that the Barzons and their whole situation are potentially real interesting. 
why doesn't the Federation help them out of the goodness of its <laughs> own right. heart? That's what I was thinking the whole time. I was like, hey, these people sound like they could use some help. How have they been reliant on others in a way that's fundamentally different from having sold this wormhole? Now, it seems like they're interested in, at least the Federation is offering them, like, not money, but aid and things like that. Mm-hmm. But isn't that also reliance? Anyway, what does any of this mean to them? Like, Picard's cavalier attitude about Riker taking over the negotiations and Riker on the bridge rubbing in the worthlessness of the wormhole to Devanani Rall in front of Premier Bhavani, who is standing three feet behind him. And who had tried her best to be nice to Riker when she agreed to a deal with Devanani Rall. That's right. She apologizes to him. Mm -hmm. Um, They both paint the Federation, or at least Starfleet, in a very bad, gross light. Yeah. That they're like, oh yeah, we can really help you guys. Like, you wouldn't believe it. You're going to want this bit of ours. Yep. Uh, But, uh, oh, you're going with someone else for the wormhole? Well, fuck you then. (laughs) You can eat one. Yeah, (laughs) you can suck my dick. Federation out. That's right. (laughs) Space negotiator Riker. Uh, and plus all the foot stuff, uh, oh, uh, Crusher talking about when your toes no, curl up. I didn't want to say it. They'll they'll make this episode very hard to watch. So, no, I still think it's a three. I, frankly, <laughs> on, only because it's still better than uh, like as a piece of television. It's still better than the other four episodes we watched this <laughs> it week. It was such a bad week, dude. It was so bad. It was a bad week. I don't know if uh, this like, will frankly, score the I lowest. almost want to give it a four just because just, <laughs> just because of that. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if this will be... Well, I mean, four is what I gave Alter Ego, so it's kind of like... Oh, God, I can't give this a three. Um, <laughs> I don't know if this will end up scoring the worst of all the weeks, but it it was at least in the running for most painful to watch this week, this slate of episodes. Most weeks have one watchable episode. That's true, yeah. This one, kind of not. Nope. Kind of not. Uh, What about world building? Uh, there's some, let's check in with Ben again real quick. He gives it a four bars on two, depending on other cultures, first appearance of a Ferengi shuttle, all the sex stuff. Wait, why is that world building? building Uh, seems like Troy should be too smart for this guy, but they've written her pretty stupid in this one. Yeah, she falls for all the tricks. Yeah. Must be character. That must've been characterization. I mean, well, I'll just read you. Here's a piece from my synopsis. I don't know why I wrote this. I knew I wasn't going to be the one to read it. Maybe but, maybe you suspected I was gonna I was gonna chicken out because it's this episode. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, Devanani shows up at Troy's quarters for the dinner date she never quite agreed to. Yeah, and she's just in a blue dress with bare shoulders, hair down, no mm-hmm. chocolate stains anymore. Well, she doesn't want like, she doesn't want to be she's, therapist. After Troy. second the second encounter at, when at the dinner that again she never says yes to. Yeah, she but she is dressed and ready to. Fi- in fact, she just invites him in. They don't even go to dinner. They never make oh, it to that fucking dinner. They don't even come close, dude. They fuck like 50 times in there. Like It's very clear that the plan was to go out to dinner. Yep. Because she invites him in first. Yeah. They never end up leaving that those quarters. No, I think it's pretty clear. He's there for like a few days. I think it's clear they fuck like 60 times. Yeah. It's nasty. Uh, world building. Okay. The replicator will only give you healthy food. Even if it has to add vitamins and shit to it. You need a fucking command override to get unhealthy food out of it. Okay. Uh, Parts of the Gamma Quadrant are at least 100 years away by current warp speeds. Okay. No such thing as a stable wormhole. Uh, There's a lot of talk, and this is where the points I'm giving it come from. There's a lot of stuff going on in this one about how 
outsiders view the Federation. Yeah, the good stuff. As opposed to how they viewed themselves. Because I don't think Picard and Riker would think of the Federation as militant. Especially. Constantly fighting enemies. I mean, Picard would think of Riker that way if he's smart. But I don't think he'd think of the rest of Starfleet <laughs> that way. Right. Um, but it's clear that it's not hard at all for Devon Rawl to push that agenda. Oh, yeah. That there are some races out there that are legit peaceful. Yeah. Maybe they don't... What they don't do is they're not colonizers. Like, that's got to be... That's what the Federation is, right? Oh, That's the unspoken thing of Star Trek is that they are big-time colonizers. They put humans all over the place. They do. They got so many human colonies, they lose them all the time. And they're constantly getting into border disputes, and rather than think, should we maybe cool it? <laughs> yeah, pull back a little the, bit. Constant expansion, they just fight all those wars. They fight the wars, or they uh, get find treaty wormholes, uh, wormholes, loopholes, or worm. Maybe they call them wormholes in the future. So that was in, that. That stuff is interesting to me. So even in an episode that is not about world building, uh, I uh, I gave it one point more than the standard three. I gave it four. I agree entirely. It's a four. Manitoba Journal of Interplanetary Psychology. I like that it is mm-hmm. the Manitoba Journal of Interplanetary Psychology. That's where you go for that, Manitoba. Uh, Manitoba still exists that's right. as a functional unit. Well, we know this dude's from Brussels and the European Alliance, so yep. maybe... Yeah, uh, Earth still has these subdivisions. Yeah. And one of them is Manitoba. <laughs> it has survived <laughs> as a... Against all odds. <clears throat> it's because it's not the Winnipeg Journal of international it's not like well that's still an important city right the unit of manitoba still exists at whatever yep first and only stable wormhole which we already knew from the voyager turns out to be pretty unstable uh goes to the gamma quadrant supposedly whatever the bars on planet is shitty and they have no decent natural resources so they need to sell this shit off so somebody with expertise can manage it at least Brussels and the European Alliance. Uh, the Barzons don't have manned space travel. Does that mean they have unmanned space travel? They sent a probe through. Okay. So they do have space travel, but not... But we have to imagine that that fucking probe was like... Janky. Voyager. Yeah, v- right? Voyager, you mean. Like, it probably sent back a couple of pictures of of star fields, and they used that to calculate where it was. It probably didn't have anything on board that could calculate where it was. Yeah, because if they didn't have any kind of space travel, how would they even know the Federation? Here's a question. Not everybody has a Prime Directive. Uh, By the way, it seems like Prime Directive violation. Okay, well, this is what I was getting into. They want that wormhole. The Federation wants it, even if Picard doesn't care about it. So here's what I was getting to. Here's my question. Not everybody has a Prime Directive. Could people like the Edo, 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 Edo is Japan. Could people like the Edo and the Barzan, the Barzans, is that what they're called? Have met other aliens who did not care about making contact with sublight civilizations and then been introduced to the Federation from there? Yeah, I, one presumes that that must be what happened here, right? Like, Because the Federation wouldn't mess with these folks. I guess the Federation probably has a rule like, I don't know, if they're if they already are talking to the Chrysalians What difference does it make the at Caldonians, that point? It probably like uh, we should probably get in the mix too just so we can show them that not everybody out here is the goddamn Ferengi. Right. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. There must be situations where they've already been introduced to other aliens so like fuck it. Like yeah. it don't matter. Maybe that's how they met those exercising fuck beasts. The, the Edo. Edo? I don't even remember what they were called. Um, Hey, Ferengi blood's dangerous, huh? They, I guess so. They pulled that shit right out of him, and then he like rubbed it on his hand. And Although, here's the thing. Um, what was the injection he gave him? 
He shot him full of yellow liquid first. Oh, and then he pulled then it he out? took the blood. Oh. No, unless he was he withdrawing the blood from the dude's. I think neck? he was withdrawing the blood, and then he like rubbed it on the dude's hand, and he used the back of the fucking. It's not very hygienic. He used the back of a fucking injector to rub it all around on the guy. Uh, and I guess it causes allergic reactions to some aliens when they touch it. So yeah. Mendoza Wonder, shit I, himself I, bad. Maybe he took that blood and mixed I don't know. Who, who the fuck knows? I don't know. Uh, Chris, aliens have had peace for 10 generations. Data says they're 200 light years away from where they're supposed to be in Delta Quadrant, not Gamma Quadrant. I guess they were aiming at the border. The Caldonians are known for their commitment to pure research. Trellium 323. The Federation seems to have a passing reputation as warmongers. Uh, only healthy food out of the replicator, as you said. Kind of a lot of stuff in here about various aliens, how people are seen within the universe. I felt it was valuable for a deeper understanding of the local galactic area. Yep. I almost want to go higher than a four, but the episode's bad. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah, it's hard to give it points. <laughs> Such a piece of shit. Like, so I think if the Federation, if if Picard and Riker weren't so weirdly disinterested in this, it would be worth more. That kind of undercuts it. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. They, they aren't... Oh, I mean, no one in this episode confronts them their own ideas about anything. But it would be something if Picard and Riker maybe took all this negotiating... All this negotiating tactics and took them back to the Federation and said, Hey, here's what people think about us. Yeah. Did you guys know this? I didn't know this. Hey, I know I know. we think we're the good guys. But turns out some people don't. Some people are not feeling it. And not just the bad Romulans. Yeah, we don't care about them because they're bad. They're bad guys. So what do they know? Uh, should I do a characterization, I guess? Yeah, do it. Marjan's note. Troy has a type. Dark hair, light eyes. Uh, okay. Mm. Uh, what about, what about Wyatt? I don't think his hair was very dark. I don't really remember. Was she that she into it? She definitely was into it. Nah, she was into it. Okay, well. Um, first time we've seen her put out by this job. Even when it was uh, stressful or painful before, she's always been pretty gung ho about shit. But in this one, she's like, well, "I am fucking done with work. No work." <laughs> well, and by the way, the, the and and Ben brings this up. It does not help that she's got three messages from her mom waiting on the computer. <laughs> That's right. Why is she in every episode? Troy is very susceptible to rapey negging. Like, to way too much. It just is nonsense. It it would make sense if he was manipulating her mind, but it frankly does not seem like he has that power. Nope. Also, the weird thing is, the deeper you get in this episode, the more it seems like... I mean, we'll talk about it, but he's he is infatuated <laughs> with her in a way that's like... He left Earth because he was sick of being the only betazoid yeah there and he's been living among weird aliens and now she's just like him yeah like a have z yeah she's uh, she's an empath like him she lives among all these other people etc etc and it becomes pretty clear that he that his he's got some genuine feeling for her yeah and this is not just a weird conquest for him yeah though uh, he does use all those tactics Although he uses, uh, exactly, he he runs the game yeah. on her. Yes, he does. Uh, how about this line? I I don't know if you're doing clips these days. Anticipation is fun. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I think she says anticipation is fun. Say thank you. What the f- what the fuck? Uh, I'll do a like. I'll do a. Clip I heard that. It and catches, I went, yeah. If it catches my eye, but uh, <laughs> the problem is, I was floating over the oh, surface yeah, yeah, yeah. of this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I told you. I had most of the time. I had my hands over my eyes. Uh, let's see. Troy's dumb and horny and loves chocolate and can't put two and two together. Uh, she's all mad about this guy using his powers to win in negotiations. Picard is supposed to be running the show, but it makes sense when the Ferengi show up. He hands off to Riker. Then he makes a face at Riker like, really dumb shit? When Riker yells at the Ferengi to send in their own probe. Like, hey, thanks for escalating, you moron. (laughs) I was trying to handle this shit, and then you just screamed at them, and now we have two surveys. Yep, exactly. I thought there was another TNG small touch when that happens, and he just goes, oh, what the fuck? Um... Data doesn't know. Riker does really play that one badly. He's bad at everything. <laughs> Data doesn't know what a lemon is. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, by the way, Marjan and I made, because we watched this one together, we made 50 jokes about Riker at various points in this episode saying, you don't understand, I was this close to winning. Because <laughs> he's usually pretty sure he's doing a good job. Um, yep, that's true. Let's see. Uh, time for space negotiator Riker. He's all in his feelings about Troy, but he hides it well. Um, Jordy is still sassy, but this time it's just with the robot and the Ferengis. <laughs> Crusher is all in on the sex gossip and says things that you already said about curling your toes and talks about fucking somebody not named Jack Crusher. By the way, this uh, this is the opposite of a Bechdel task. This is the polar opposite. Because not only does it see, we've never seen them do this activity before, no. but it's, it is an activity that they do regularly enough that Troy apologizes for being late. Yep. Um, the scene lasts exactly long enough for her to be like, we both like bad boys, right? And, and then they do their little joke and it's off. So the entire, we don't see, they should do two stretches each. Yep. We don't see any other reason that they're in the scene except to have this talk about men. Yep. Man gossip. Um, yep. And again, why, why was, was I... Am I wrong that it was gross that she fucked somebody not named Jack Crusher and told a story about it? Uh, yeah, but it does have my favorite uh, weird line, which is she does say, it was another fella. Ugh. Another fella. She learned it from that cop who she fucked on the she holiday. She learned it from, that, from the gum cop. You know she goes back there. Oh, boy. That guy was way into her. Yeah. She likes that. Yeah. Um. Well, I don't. I didn't say a lot positive, but it's a three. Yeah. Um. I'll just read Ben's. Okay. He gave it a four. Troy's mom frustrates her so much that she has to self-medicate with real ice cream. <laughs> Troy has long toes. Thanks. Oh, boy, I don't need descriptions. I've seen them. Okay, long toe's fine. The pink nail polish is awful for some reason. It's lighter than the color of her skin, which is a... It's just a bad look. I know, you bring it up all the time, and I don't want to think about it anymore. Uh, Okay, well, here's another thing he wrote. I think Gates is pretty nice looking in her green leotard. Oh, no. Oh, no. He likes a redhead with a sharp nose. That's not I guess. That's bad, I'd say. Uh, Troy has uh, some has thought some about the ethics of being an empath. The dinner scene is good for this development. Riker is sensitive to being just seconded. Yes. Uh, 
Devanani Raw almost gets it. Yeah, he's close. With Riker. He he almost by needling him about being second in command, about not taking risks. It's he gets it's close pretty good. And then it's he, in line, he almost manages it. See why it did it unintentionally? Yeah. Why it was just cutting and a little bitchy? <laughs> why it crushed him though? Why it crushed why his it whole destroyed soul? Him. The way Riker takes a look at him before he walks out. He just looks at him like uh, no. <laughs> and, but but Devanani Rawl makes a mistake, which is rather than going with the obvious emotional success he's having along this line, yeah. he goes with something that Troy. he knows intellectually instead, which is that he used to have a relationship with Troy, yeah. and it just doesn't quite work because Riker has already had his goodbye scene yep. where Troy breaks down in tears. He's already won. Yeah, that's right. This is nothing to him. And then Riker's back on, he's like back on his game as soon as he says that Yeah, it, put, it, it sets him right. And then at that point, Devanani Rawl only has the the one play that he used before, which is take the big risk and seal the deal before they know what's at the other end of the wormhole. Yeah. Yep. So. Uh, but no, Ben's right. Riker is sensitive to being second in command. Um, uh, so characterization. Troy is real lost in this one. Uh, at the end of the day, it's it's just impossible to understand why this whole thing went down the way it did. What any of this means to her, if her if anything about the way she uses her powers will be different going forward, right? Like, yeah. there's just there's no there's no takeaway from this episode for her. We're we're not left with anything here, and we know this show is serial. That's right. So we're not, there's going to be nothing from this and they didn't give us anything in this episode and that sucks. Uh, Picard mostly just annoyed. Riker gets some good moments in with Raul, but that's about the only thing that's done well in this whole episode. Yeah. So I give it two. Yeah, one great. Uh, uh, quick hitters, I guess. Um, Did Ben have any? Yeah, and he had one that I had too. Those forks are interesting. <laughs> That's uh, good. I except I wrote I'm into these space forks, but it's basically the same. Yeah, the same idea. Uh, Mendoza's outfit. Sure. The trim on it looks like uh, the material that a Romulan uniform is made out of. Is that a power move? Yeah, he dresses like a Romulan because that's what's fucking hip. No, dog. <laughs> he trims his uniform with Romulan uniforms. <laughs> Like, hey, uh, I don't. It turns out the Romulans aren't at this negotiation, but in case you were thinking like they're a major power and the Federation is irrelevant, I'm wearing their uniforms as the trim on mine. Yeah, I just think of them as like a cool fashion inspiration. That's all they're. I might be might be reading a little bit into that. (laughs) Uh, Which writer's wet dream is this? God, I don't want to think about it. You just you just go in there and say, "Oh, you're being Counselor Troy," and just rub your hands all over a woman, just aggressively, just all in her hair. She'll put on her sexy dress for you. That's bad. Uh, what about Commander Riker? Devanani Rawl says. And Troy says, who have you been talking to? <laughs> who told you? What if Devanani Rawl had just said, O'Brien? That would have been the end of it, right? <laughs> yeah. But it turns out you're right. He wasn't trying to fool her about his uh, empathy. No, he was really hoping she would catch on, but she's not bright in this. Uh, border of the Gamma Quadrant, et cetera, et cetera. Not surprised if Frankie Frankie aren't too concerned. Um, in addition to loving the Space Forks, I also loved the idea of Devanani Rawl angrily storming back to his quarters in those sex robes that he wore to that dinner. 
Because he gets up and storms out You're when right. she gets on him about the uh, empathy. And uh, he's got to walk through the fucking corridors like that. <laughs> I give Best Actor to Frustrated Jordy. Yeah. He was trying so hard to get those dumb Ferengi out of there. And I think it's because he knows he's going to have to fucking explain it when he gets back. Have to write a report. Alone. Yeah, about yeah. why the Ferengi are lost in the Delta Quadrant. And worst actor I gave to, it was another fella crusher. Good. She deserved it for everything in that scene. Uh, you have some quick hitters for me? Yeah, I mentioned I couldn't take a lot of notes because I couldn't look at the screen, but uh, <laughs> Devonani Rawl, at some point, he's wearing a suit. He's got a collar like the 76ers GM. <laughs> but by that, I mean a normal collar. It's a normal collar. He's got a normal collar. Get a new slant. Uh, Devin Oniral makes really good points to Troy about how she uses her powers, but it's a third rail question the writers have decided to ask out loud like dummies, so nothing happens with it. Devin Oniral has no idea how marathons work. What risks do you take in the last mile of a marathon? Uh, I mean, just the same running? risk you've been taking for the last uh, ten miles, heart attack is or it, shitting yourself. Is it to keep running? <laughs> Is that the risk? The, the only risk I've ever seen anyone take in the last mile of a marathon is premature celebration. <laughs> That's right. I love it every time. Which he kind of does. But he's like... He does. He's like... It's just like a marathon, Riker. You, are you going to take the risk you need to take in the last mile? And you're like... Mm. That's this mar- that, I mean, this uh, this analogy is broken. Please move on is to another a, one. Is that a marathon? Yeah. Is it like... This is, I mean, two. There's risk in like the two minute drill. You could talk about that. I guess that would be a. <laughs> yeah. That's probably a way to go. You could probably work something out, like a hail mary. Maybe you're gonna is throw that what a you hail mean? mary. Is that what you're gonna pull your goal? I'm in I'm the confused. nickel, Riker. You're gonna throw that <laughs> yeah, hail mary. Yeah. I'm playing prevent defense. What are you gonna do about it? Uh, at one point, he walks. Uh, Devin Oniral walked into uh, Troy's quarters, and I noticed his jacket was very shimmery, and I hated it. Oh uh, yeah. Um, All of their casual clothes are very bad. And after everything they go through, in the end, Rawl still just calls her Troy. <laughs> just Troy. So yeah. He's only known her for 48 hours. Yeah, he fucked her 60 times, but just Troy. So, uh, yeah, that's it. That's it. Let's stop talking about this one if we can. Yeah. <clears throat> hey, the numbers are in. All right, who did it? Uh, who, did it place? who did it the least bad? Fifth place this week with 11 points. That's not good. Deep Space Nine, Fascination. That's a bad score. Uh, we have a two-way tie for third place. Uh, both coming in at 24 points. Alter Ego and Rajin. Those weren't very good. I'm surprised they even got that many points. Uh, you know, both of those got more points from me than they got from you. Uh, yeah, in general, you were slightly ahead of me this week in points. Yeah. Very slightly. Um, Second place with 26 points, TNG, The Price. Matthew, the winner this week, no. a backdoor pilot for another <laughs> series that was not picked up. And it was extremely the, boring. The last episode of TNG Season 2, the very terrible Assignment Earth, winning by 1 point, 27 points. Yeah, that's a bad winner. TNG's 17th win. Hmm. They pick up one point on their, frankly, at this point, enormous point deficit on TNG. But they also pick up uh, 16 points on DS9, who was coming up right behind them. Yeah, DS9 really fucking shit the bed this week. Yeah, they could have moved into second place on points. 
and frankly, would not have been hard to get a win in against this oh, week yeah. of, of nonsense. This but they was, didn't. This was the they week. They finished in fifth. This was the week not to do the sex comedy. Next week. Yeah. Next Star Trek week. Yeah. We're watching Spock's Brain. Marjan's favorite episode. The Vengeance Factor. Marjan recently, recently saw that episode on TV. Past Tense Part 1. I know what that is. It's not good. Coda. Nah, no idea. And Impulse. Oh, I hope it's about the Impulse engines. Oh, I, boy, I bet it will. I bet for some <laughs> reason they'll be limited to Impulse speed for most of the episode. <laughs> Enterprise is very literal. Uh, also, maybe they'll meet a sexy slave woman named Impulse. <laughs> Impulse. Both things are possible. Yes, that could be. It could be a character's name. Impulse. Uh wow. So that was tough. That was a tough week. I'm I'm upset even after the extra week off. That was upsetting. Uh it was very difficult for me to get through these. But a- everyone I'd be like, what's the next one? Oh no. Oh yeah, it was a parade of fucking garbage. Um the good news is next week is a mailbag. A merciful merciful mailbag. Please send us mail. It's at Brother Date on the Twitter machine. You go to brother8.com. Check out Landry. There's so many numbers in it. It's crazy. It's all full of numbers. Check it out. There's colors and numbers. But those are the only things that matter, right? Yeah. Just colors I mean, and you numbers. Can, you can discover that, uh, for instance, this is tied for the worst week Matt's ever rated episodes. There you go. I felt like it. It felt like that. Along with week 27, the alternative factor where science has least necessary evil resistance in Carbon Creek. Oh, Carbon Creek sucked. Yeah. Um. Now nah, you can also uh, get us on the iTunes or whatever podcatcher or whatever. Uh, email us. You can email us your audio clips. We just read those. Or, I mean, we just play them. We just click play and then we we do our business. And we sass you basically. We'll We're s- beta five we'll in that s- whole scenario. We'll sass the shit out of you. That's it, right? That's it. All Thank right. God. Well, j- pelt or joy, everybody. Am I a human person? Don't just laugh. Answer the fucking question. Am I a human man with rights? Yes. Why do I have to do this? Why am I doing this? Please subscribe.